Hello and welcome to another episode of Skeptics and Seekers. I'm your host, David the Skeptic, and I'm joined by the other guy. I'm Dale, representing the Christian or Seeker side. Hello, uh, so, uh oh, did I cut you off? No, no problem. I was just going to say, yeah, and yeah, uh, take that, Tyler B. Um, I do represent the Christian and the Seeker side. That was sort of set up uh, from the beginning. Dave, David would be the skeptic. Uh, I don't know if you saw his comment, but he was complaining that, well, shouldn't the skeptic be the seeker um, or something like that? Did, did you see that, David? I did. I did. That was uh, uh, who, who commented? Um, Tyler, was Tyler B. B. That was Tyler B. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, Dale does not seem like a seeker because he seems like his mind is already firmly made up. <laughs> so uh, we have actually, Tyler, just so you know, we've had this criticism before. Yeah, I think it was Michael uh, Brady that uh, gave it yes. when we first started. Or something. Yeah. Yes, we've, we, we have, in fact, had this criticism. And uh, I will tell you pretty much what I uh, told Michael at that uh, time. Uh, we were going to call the show uh, you know, stubborn uh, atheist and uh, already made up his mind uh, Christian pretending to be a seeker, but that didn't focus group well. So we went with skeptics and seekers. You're welcome. There you go. <laughs> also, the other thing on a more serious note that I told Michael Brady was, I am not necessarily the skeptic and Dale is not necessarily the seeker. We represent skeptics and seekers uh, who we talk to and they listen to and consider our arguments. Um, and so it's, it's a, more a matter of representing different points of view rather than us being the personifications of those things. Gotcha. Makes sense. Cool. All right. So yeah, go, go ahead. This, this week is uh, David's topic. So I'll let you and do it's already off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think you wanted to mention, uh, give an honorable mention to some comments. Um, I do. I do. Uh, so I want to start with Teddy. Hi, Teddy. Hey, I said, hi, Teddy. Okay, you can at least pretend to acknowledge me. Okay, there you go. Thank you. Um, so, uh, she had something uh, interesting to say this week. I uh, feel like I've heard every um, argument on the Trinity in my lifetime. And uh, she came up with one that I hadn't heard before, so I thought it was worth uh, bringing up. She suggested uh, that maybe uh, this Trinity thing, it started with God as a solitary being, God, the real God, the actual God. And then at some point in his eternal timelessness, split himself up into three beings. Now, I don't know that she went into why God decided to do this uh, part, but I just thought it was interesting uh, because it seemed like she was uh, creating a double heresy, <laughs> getting the big ones all at once. Uh, it seemed like a little bit of modalism, a little bit of uh, tritheism uh, all at once. But uh, the idea of, yeah, is is one God, you know, in the solitary, you know, he's got one butt and so he only needs one chair kind of God. Um, and then he decides to just make free of himself. What do you think about that, Bill? Does that does that work? Does that work for you? 
Oh, uh, so, so no, I, I do find that so being charitable, if it's if she's trying to hint at something like group mind monotheism, uh, maybe that that could make sense. Um, although I, I have issue some issues with that. But in terms of God just splitting himself up it, it, and becoming if they're if they're totally separate beings, um, then that would be tritheism, which is uh, something that I can't go for uh you brought up an interpretation i didn't think of so like you think that teddy was saying so god is a single consciousness a single person and he just manifests in three separate uh, beings or persons I, i don't know i don't know again teddy wasn't teddy doesn't like tight Definition, so it's it's unfair to press her uh, in this way. Well, so I don't mean to straw man your argument, Teddy. If you want to clarify that, uh, skeptics and seekers. Uh, WordPress. Dot com. Yeah, and, the, and, but yeah. my my point would be, if it's what you said, David, if it's this single God consciousness is manifesting in three spiritual substances or something, uh, then that would be modalism. So, yeah. You, Either way, I, I would disagree with it. Um, but again, it, it's it's unfair to press press those statements too hard because she's not trying to be tight in that way. She doesn't think that these things can be truly defined at all. So um, I, it, it just goes to show what I said uh, last week. There's no way that you can actually visualize this stuff as a human, some kind of human readable visualization and not come up with some kind of heresy. Uh, I, I just thought that that was a particularly interesting heresy. So thank you, uh, Teddy, for contributing to the heresy pile. Um, <laughs> so, um, and uh, Joyce, Joyce, you know who you are, Joyce. Um, Joyce uh, wanted to challenge me on the whole subordinationism thing. Dell and I have had some conversation about subordinationism. Here's the thing. I've come to determine that I don't know what the heck uh, is meant by subordinationism because it means different things to different people. Um, Dale has some sources, I have some sources, and I, in you know, of the same sources, we disagree on what they mean. Um, and so, uh, you know, Joyce actually picked up uh, my challenge and suggested that somehow the equality of God is the same as the equality between husband and wife. Joyce is a bit of a fundamentalist in that sense. This is not an insult, Joyce. You will know when you're being insulted. Um, and and I will never insult you, Joyce. Well, anyway, now I'm, that's not what I'm doing now. Uh, all I'm saying. Um, so she, she thought that that was an apt example where they were different in function, but not different in and th- this is where it gets a little fuzzy to me because I'm not sure what she's saying they're not different in. But from my understanding, uh, you know, one of the one of the people that Dale and I discussed is Matt Slick. He used the uh, term rank. Uh, and so in military terms, a captain is not a lieutenant. There are different ranks. In fact, we are right to say that one is an inferior and one is a superior. That is exactly the language that we use. Uh, and so you can say, well, no, it's just a different function, but they're ontologically the same. But we're never arguing about whether we're ontologically the same as humans. We're all the same star stuff, uh, but we have different ranks, different functions, and we do have subordinate and inferior. Uh, we have a pecking order uh, in pretty much every human system that we operate in. And so I, I do think it's a little bit um, sophist to say um, that, oh, no, they're equal 
it's just that one of them is the inferior to the other. Um, and uh, Dale and I uh, spoke a little bit off mic about the ontological uh, differences too, because I would also argue that a case can be made that Jesus and you know Joe, who I call the Holy Spirit, because someone ought to give him a name for Pete's sake. Um, he's the only one who doesn't have a name. So Jesus, Joe, and um, uh, Big Daddy, uh, Jesus and Joe aren't the same stuff as Big Daddy. And so part of the argument for that is uh, what Dale would call Logos Christology. Uh, he might talk to you about that uh, sometime, but there's an argument to be made uh, that they are not ontologically the same either, that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are somehow emanations or uh, are contingent to the Father, uh, not the same as the Father, uh, not of the same stuff. They don't have the same abilities. Uh, one of those things is that the Father seems to know everything and the other two don't. Um, you know, so I don't know if Dale wants to respond to that, but I just wanted to say to you, Joyce, uh, because this is all uh, conversation sparked off of your comment. Uh, we appreciate your comment, and Dale and I are still um, haggling over the details of what we even mean by subordinationism and, uh, you know, how, how likely uh, the material, including the Bible, is or is not uh, suggesting some type of ontological subordinationism. Dale, did you want to uh, round that off? Um, yeah, so, so I fully agree with Joyce in what she said in the comment. Um, I, I know that she, she has some notions I'm a, I find a little bit problematic from uh, personal emails that she sent. But in terms of what she said in that comment, I'm, I'm fully on board with her in terms of subordinationism. Um, I, I think that the heresy applies there's an ontological inferiority. Um, it, it, it doesn't speak to whether in the economic tr trinity there are different roles um, of submission that the various divine persons take. That That's totally unproblematic for me. That That's what I believe the Bible is, is teaching in these verses where it says the Son submits to the Father um, or, or, you know, the Holy Spirit and that sort of thing. Uh, it, it's not an ontological derivation. It's a functional submission. Um, in terms of uh, so so it's a yeah it's in terms of their roles that's the word I would use so um, you know Matt Slick I, I just happened to click on his link and provide that as a source uh, for David to check out and Matt Slick uses this word rank uh, David and I disagree on what Matt Slick means so he David thinks well rank that's a role right that's like in the military you have a captain lieutenant. I, I think in context, if you read the Matt Slick subordination article, look, he's saying he's not equal to the Father in being attributes and rank. Essentially, subordinationism states that the Son is inferior in an ontological sense to the Father. Um, so, so I take rank. Uh, according to Matt Slick, rank seems to be something that has ontological implication. Uh, despite the fact that I, I personally would agree with David that rank seems to imply a functional role or something, but that it just seems that Matt Slick isn't using the word in the way most people would take it. It does seem to be an ontological category. So yeah, that's that's my take. Okay, all right. Then we'll uh, follow up. Okay, good. Cool. I, I just wanted to give a couple honorable mentions to Brian with an I. Uh, definitely not Brian with Y, but um, <laughs> Brian, um, Brian. I, I honorably mention you, my friend. 
Yes. Have been honorably mentioned. Okay, go ahead. Yep, and and uh, Travis on our show on um, uh, your show, uh, Re- Irrational Atheism versus Reasonable uh, Disbelief. Um, I thought Travis had some great comments. He, he also linked to a, a great blog that he wrote on the topic, The Evolutionary Argument Against Naturalism. Um, so I thought I thought his blog was excellent. I wanted to give that honorable mention as a as a comment that we appreciated and that sort of thing. And he had sort of a back and forth with Darren and, and myself a little bit. So yeah, um, there we go. I think we did our interactive portion there. All right, good enough. Hey, uh, if you would like to be honorably mentioned, say something in the comments worth talking about. You all say things in the comments worth talking about. We, we have interesting conversations when we have so much time. Um, so yeah, thanks to everybody. And before we get into today's topic, which hopefully won't last too long, I actually have an announcement, a very exciting announcement. Are you ready for this? There is gonna be a new podcast because I am busy beyond belief and I don't have time to breathe. And so what I actually needed was a new project. So (laughs) that's what I did for myself or to myself. Um, It is called BSC Weekly. Oh no. (laughs) Oh, by the way, Dale was hearing about this for the first time. (laughs) It's called, (laughs) I'm not kidding folks. In fact, you can actually, you can go to the site right now. B S C weekly.com. That's the, that's the address. I don't, I haven't set up an email address for it. Uh, so the website is BSC weekly. Uh, you can leave comments. Uh, the first blog is up there. It's a solo show that I'll be doing. I might have some guests every now and then. Uh, but it's basically me reading the uh, Christian headlines and talking about uh, the stories and uh, getting outraged about them. It's fun for me. I don't think a lot of Christians are going to tune in. <laughs> but, but it's uh, it's catharsism, uh, cathartic for me. Um, possibly so you're taking, too. You're, take, uh, you're taking news stories, you said, and, and reacting. I'm taking, I am taking news stories and reacting to them. Yes, I am. Gotcha. Okay. Yes, I am. In fact, uh, the first two stories. So uh, right now, I'm setting us as two stories at a time. Uh, my goal is to keep these at a length of about 15 minutes, and I have recorded the first one. Uh, and it is about 16 minutes, so I'm pretty, uh, pretty happy with that. Uh, the two stories that uh, I uh, outrage about are uh, Falau's uh, comments about the uh, Australian wildfires being uh, a sign of the wrath of God. And uh, the other story is about uh, what's-his-face uh, preacher in the big California church, uh, his comment uh, that women should uh, remain uh, in submission to men uh, at all times. You made an unbelievable uh, comment about this, I think. Uh, yeah, well, actually, Tyler B. made an unbelievable comment about this, and I, I just followed up his comment with the uh, with the links on the board, and then I, a little follow-up comment. But I decided, in your honor, Tyler B., to make uh, the first two news articles of my show the two articles that you highlighted there. Uh, if you like the idea of this show and uh, want to rage with me and would like to submit uh, some ideas for that right now, you can send those to me at skepticsandseekers.gmail.com or you can just leave a comment right on the show page, bscweekly.com. 
and uh, we'll do them. So uh, that is uh, the housekeeping. Let's get started, right. shall we? All right. Uh, so this week, it's my topic. I feel like we've been uh, deeply theological, deeply philosophical for a long time. We need a break. So we're going to talk about something a little bit more practical today. Not a lot of theology here, but I, sus I suspect some theology will be snuck into the back door. Uh, today, uh, we're going to talk about a well-lived life. Um, a well-lived life. And obviously, Dale and I have some uh, different ideas about what it means to have a well-lived life. Uh, different philosophers over time have talked about a well-lived life. I think uh, Bertrand Russell, uh, maybe uh, one of the more famous uh, people who uh, pinned ideas about a well-lived life. But this is, this is a theme that is repeated and brought up time and time again. Every generation has you know, some new take on the well-lived life. Uh, and so the spin I wanted to give to this, uh, you know, I, I brought up various tent poles. I didn't even count them. How many tent poles do I have uh, here? One, two, uh, three. This is scintillating radio. Four, uh, five, six. I have six tent poles here. Uh, for a well-lived life. What I'm going to tell you up front is none of them matters. <laughs> okay? You can get rid of these six and put another six in there. It's, it's not the specifics that I'm going for here, although we'll talk about them. My point is that a well-lived life can be achieved without reference to uh, or faith in a God. It is simply not necessary. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have a lived, lived, well-lived life if you believe in God. I am simply making the argument that you can have a well-lived life without a God. And if you want to say that I'm making a claim, that's my claim. One can live a most excellent life without knowledge of, reference to, or reverence for a God. That is my official claim this week. And uh, I don't know if Dale is actually going to uh, counter that statement or not. <laughs> so we've talked about it. He's written a blog. I don't. I don't actually know if he's going to try to uh, uh, deny the truth of that claim. We'll see when I give him the mic back. But for right now, I'm keeping him in the closet. Uh, so here we go. For a well-lived life. Um, one doesn't need a God. There are some things that I think that people do need, though, and I think it's true whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian. Uh, these are some things that you need, and I, I do think that there is a little bit of a theological uh, conversation we can have about most of these. And so the first one I mentioned is money. Oh, actually, I mentioned mammon. Mammon, an ancient god of covetousness. But um, yeah, the Bible, the Bible uses mammon. I always found that term interesting because it's it's a part of the New Testament's love-hate relationship with money. It mostly hate in the New Testament. It, it's always speaking derogatory about money. There's almost never a time when money is mentioned in a positive light in the New Testament. You know, it's mammon uh, or it's filthy lucre. You know, it's, it's something like that. Um, it's, it's never a good goal to be achieved. Uh, it's almost something to be eschewed. Uh, you know, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. 
uh, that sort of thing. Saving money, uh, you know, for a rainy day is a bad thing. You know, investing in your future, tearing down your old barns and building bigger ones because you had a successful crop, that's a bad thing. Um, and so what I, what I want to say is that uh, the Christian idea about money as it comes from Jesus is exactly 100% backward. Uh, pretty much everything that Jesus said about money, the opposite of it is true. It's not just that it's wrong and that something else is true. It's the opposite of, of good advice. Um, and so Dale and I might have a little bit of discussion uh, about Jesus and the New Testament on money. I don't know. We'll, we'll see where he goes there and uh, what he wants to talk about. But I would just say that you should never uh, take advice from anyone who thinks that money is a bad thing. That's a, that's a person who's going to lead you down the road to ultimately a bad life. Uh, in order to get off the ground uh, and do any of the things that you think that are worthwhile in this life, you're gonna have, a, have to have enough money to support you in the cause that you wanna support. Uh, and money, uh, having more money than you need for that cause, nothing wrong with that either. Uh, nothing wrong with legitimately and legally grabbing as much of it as you, as you can in saving as much of it as you can for a rainy day. You know what a rainy day is? It's a day uh, when things aren't going well, when you're not working, when you're injured and you can't work. And then you can go back and use some of the money that you piled up when you were able to work. That's, that's literally what we're talking about here. Christians somehow, uh, you know, Jesus somehow thought that was a bad thing because you're not trusting God for your future. And I say that that's, that's just ridiculous. Don't trust God for your future, trust yourself. Uh, for your future. You need money. Compile as much of it as you can. Uh, Jesus said, don't worry about the things of this life, what you will eat and what you will drink. Well, you know what? No, there's no surer, faster path to poverty than to not worry about what you will eat and what you will drink. You absolutely need to worry about that. You need to save enough money so that you don't have to worry about that. Putting the kingdom of God first is not a way to make sure that your kids uh, are going to have a college fund. That's, that's not the way to send your kids to college. Having a savings account, a good accountant, that's the way to send your kids to college. Uh, so uh, money, and I don't know why exactly Christians uh, feel that they need to um, speak harshly against it. We all need it, we all chase it, we all want it, and we all know that uh, you can't live a good life without it. Uh, so, uh, tip poll number two for a meaningful life is meaningful uh, work. I'm actually not going to talk too much about this one. Uh, Dale had some interesting things to say in his blog. Uh, obviously, you need more than meaningful work to have a good life, but you can't have a good life without meaningful work. Uh, and it has to be something that you are doing, something that you are accomplishing. I think that this is one of the one of the differences that I would have with Christians, because the Christian would say, well, you can't accomplish anything uh, on your own. It's all God doing the accomplishing for you, and you're just kind of the accomplishment vessel. And I think that to be fully uh, actualized, there have to be things that you, as an individual, accomplish yourself that's meaningful, that you can look back on and be proud of that you have put your time and labor in and produced something, the Christian would deny this. Um, and I think that this, this idea of having done something or having, you know, having something to do on a continual basis that is meaningful, that is produced by you, uh, is a necessary component of a good life. 
Uh, social engagement. So I threw this one in here. Uh, you might call me uh, a hypocrite. I am not a terribly social being. I do podcasts. This is kind of my social outlet. Uh, I blog. This is my social outlet. I don't actually like people that much. Uh, I don't like putting myself in situations and environments uh, where I have to engage with people face to face. So I am I am something of a hermit. I'm the guy who goes into uh, a dark room, sits in front of a computer screen, and lives my uh, life in that way. I am that kind of geek. I imagine some of you are too. Uh, I don't know my neighbors. I live in a small apartment. I do not know my neighbors. I know uh, one or two of them by, by face. I don't know their names. I'm not a social creature. And yet I do believe that uh, there's a certain amount of social engagement that is necessary uh, to live a fully realized life. Uh, I suspect maybe the Christian would agree with some of this. We need one another. The Christian would uh, talk about social engagement in terms of church. But I think that we need a broader social engagement. We don't just need a club of like-minded people. In order to be fully realized human being, we need to be socially engaged with the world, all of the world, and not just as judges of the world, but as citizens of the world, as equals in the world. Uh, we should stop seeing songs like, this world is not my home. It is your home. This world is your home. And you know, one of the reasons uh, I think that certain uh, brands of Christians don't treat it well is because they think of it as not their home. You know, this is the hell you know, for the unbelievers. Uh, and they've got a home up in the sky somewhere. Uh, I think to be fully realized as a human being, we have to be fully socialized as a citizen of this world. Uh, and not some other world. Uh, health uh, is another one of those tent poles that I think is necessary to live a good life. Now, again, this might sound a little bit hypocritical because I am one of the least healthy people uh, whose voice you will hear this week. <laughs> I, am, uh, I am not the picture of good health. I'm not gonna run down the list of all of the things wrong with me that's uh, you know, getting in line to kill me. There are lots of them. I'll be having uh, knee surgery uh, this week. Uh, so by the time you listen to this, I might already be under the knife. I don't plan to podcast next week. There'll be a guest in my place. I don't actually know who that guest will be. I suspect it's going to be Andrew. Uh, Andrew might bring in uh, Doug Hawksworth. Uh, don't know. Well, he's not confirmed yet. Eh? Yeah, it's I, not I yet. Okay. It's, All right. it, is, it is unconfirmed, but there will be a show next week. Somehow right. you'll be doing it. And if I have to do it to make sure that there's a show next week, I will do it, but I will be on drugs. Well, okay, Just but so you your, health, your health comes first over over the, the show. So, like, and yeah, so I'm, I'm happy I, mean, I, I understand that there's a certain level of hypocrisy here. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm being fully transparent. Um, God. Either way, there'll, there'll be a show. So as, as long as you're up for it, uh, great. If, if Doug is up for it or if Andrew's up, I'm good with, with anyone. So, Dale, yeah. I can, I can take care of you even when I am on drugs. Don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't need the full capacity of the machine. So. Gotcha. And I'm sure the, the skeptics in the audience, like Darren Lute, will love the topic that I have planned for, for next week. Absolutely. And he's probably already on drugs in anticipation for it. Okay. Uh, All right. I'll, I'll say it at the end. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. Uh, sorry, Darren. I'm not implying that you were on drugs. 
I missed you this week, buddy. I missed you this week. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna need you in the comments next week, okay? Um, oh, well, it's, okay. Um, well, yeah. I'll try my best. I'll, like I devote uh, days, but yeah, I'm. I'm really busy uh, working on like the 15 pages and that sort of thing so um yeah just f forgive me for, for the guys in the comments forgive me if if i'm not always getting back to everyone like i normally try my best to to do but um yeah hope, you know i will try to devote some time on a day or a couple days to like really get in there and respond to people if i can yeah. so we, we need you there uh, that's that's just what it is uh dale had too easy of a time this week on the training topic because he didn't have enough people pushing back on him. Uh, you let the side down, my friend. I'm just saying. Um, Brian with a Y. AWOL. Oh, All right, anyway. Paradise. Um, we, <laughs> Sorry, we, no, no. We, 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 we need you guys. <laughs> so uh, where was I? Health. So um, yeah, health. This is one of these areas where I just don't understand um, uh, the Christian. They kind of want to have it both ways. Uh, they want to say that God uh, wants you in your weakness. In your weakness, he is strong. You should celebrate your weakness. Johnny Erickson, Erickson taught a wheelchair. Weakness. Praise weakness. Well, I think that's bullshit. That's batshit crazy. You should not praise that. That's awful. You know, if you find yourself in a wheelchair, by the way, I've been in a wheelchair, and I suspect I will be in a wheelchair again for a few weeks. It's awful. It's a crappy way to be. Uh, don't celebrate it. Uh, you know, donate to medical science. Uh, science. Try to get out of it. It's, it's, not, it's not to be celebrated. Uh, bad health is not to be celebrated. Um, as, as someone who suffers from all kinds of bad health. Um, so, yeah, if, if this God of yours somehow celebrates your weakness or is strong in your weakness, you can find another God. Uh, find someone who can be strong in your strength. Uh, not in your weakness. Now, the other side of Christianity, well, one side is saying that, uh, the other side is saying, oh, no, God wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be healthy. In fact, he will heal you of what ails you if you have the right amount of faith and have the right formula for uh, this and that. So, yeah, I'll, both of those are bullshit. <laughs> I'm sorry, God's not going to heal you of anything. If, if you find yourself in ill health, uh, don't revel in it. And don't sit around praying to get out of it. Find a good doctor. Uh, get better insurance. I know how hard it is to get better insurance. Um, but th these are the types of things that get you out of good health. Eat healthily. Exercise well. If you find yourself in good health, do everything you can to maintain it. T take it from someone who didn't. Do everything you can in your power to maintain it and stop trying to lean on someone else's power to maintain it. That's not gonna happen. So put down the cigarette, put down the vape, get outside, do a little jog, work up a sweat, get your heart rate up because your health is possibly the most sacred thing you've got. Your body is not the temple of God. Your body is the temple of you. Treat it like that. Um, a beautiful mind. So um, obviously a play, a play off the movie. Um, the life of the mind is very important. So I don't believe in substance dualism, so I'm not speaking of the mind as if it were anything uh, more than 
uh, an emanation from the brain. Uh, I am a strict materialist. That's not what we're talking about this week, though. I don't care what language you use to talk about the, the mind. What you need to do is exercise your mind and live the fullest mental life you can. Now, here I'm going to cite Dale for just a half a second as Dale appeals to people to uh, stretch your mind. Uh, you know, take like, what you know. Like you to refer to me in my proper title as Doctor Dale, please. Um, uh, yes, as Doctor <laughs> Dale. Has, um, go. I'll I, shut up. I, go go I, ahead. I feel dirty. I'm going to just take a quick wash. Give me a minute. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm back. Um, yeah. Right. It, exercise your mind. Stretch your mind. Whatever you think you know about the world, I promise you've got room to know more. Uh, as Matt Delahunty would say. Uh, do your very best to know as many true things and uh, as few false things as possible. Uh, and so whatever you know, you've got room for more true things. And uh, you can, if, if you're running out of room for more true things, I assure you there are some false things that you can get rid of. Um, so you can do more, you can do better. And I don't want to suggest that everybody needs to become an academic and go to school for eight years. I didn't. Um, yeah, it, sometimes much to my regret, but uh, I didn't. I'm not an academic. I'm not going to become an academic, so I'm not going back. Uh, what I got is what I got from that sense. But that doesn't mean that I am not constantly educating myself and stretching myself. Uh, I think to to live the fullest life, you have to live the fullest mental life, since I would say 90% of what is you is mental. It, it's not your body. I mean, yeah, you need to take care of your body, uh, but a good body and a bad mind is still a dead person. Um, so uh, I believe that the life of the mind is very important. I don't think that Dale uh, and I would have much dispute with that moving uh, on to something much more disagreeable. Uh, in my conclusion, uh, I implore you to be a grown-ass adult. Grow up. Uh, in the uh, book Unbelievable, um, Justin, uh, his last chapter uh, was about uh, choosing to uh, live within the Christian story. And um, my last chapter in uh, the uh, counter uh, book, Still Unbelievable, uh, was about uh, living in reality. And, excuse me, one of my first points in that chapter uh, was, you know, one of the reasons I could no longer live within the Christian story is that I grew up. And that is, that is one of the things that uh, the Christian story forbids you to do. You can't grow up. You're, you're always a child of God, um, and emphasis on child. You can never make your own decisions. You can never say, you know, I think I'm going to do this or that. No, you must always say, if it be God's will, I'll do this or that. Because who do you think you are trying to determine your own life? You can't do it. You've got to ask God for things. You've got to grovel to him for your daily bread. I don't need God to give me my daily bread. I need to get off my ass and go to work and make enough money and go to the store and buy my daily bread. I don't, need a, I don't need a God for that. I don't need his permission for that. And, you know, if I do something wrong, I don't need to get on my knees and beg God for forgiveness 
lest he strike me down and burn me forever because I had a stray thought that was less than kind. Screw that. Grown-ass grown adults don't do that. You don't need to do that. You don't need permission and you don't need forgiveness to be fully human. Just be human. You don't need to be afraid of the dark. You don't need to be afraid about the things that go bump in the night. You don't need to, to, to reach out every time you hear a strange sound and grab from your daddy's hand. You don't have to live in your daddy's house forever. You know, Christians are looking forward to living at home for the rest of their eternity. Really? Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have your own damn home? <laughs> you don't have to live with daddy forever and, and sit around daddy's throne and tell him how good of a daddy he is for the rest of eternity. Be a grown-ass adult. Face the world. Own yourself. Take possession of yourself. That's ultimately what you have to do to live the fullest, best life. And if you were always deferring to someone else to live your life for you, then you will never achieve the good life to the fullest it can be. Dale. Okay, so so in terms of my uh, my case this week, so I understood in this case, David, when he's talking about well-being or happiness and this sort of thing, um, believe it or not, we've done a show, uh, a really good show that I, I hope uh, that I've linked to and hopefully you guys will check out based on sort of the ontological question. You know, what what is the necessary foundation for true uh, happiness versus just mere happiness or or a true well-being and, and true uh, you know, wellness uh, of living a good, a quote-unquote good life as opposed to, uh, you know, just subjective mere happiness or, or that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, I, I think that, uh, so David in, the, in this blog is sort of bypassing that and saying, let, let's forget about the ontological question. We've debated that uh, back in January, and you told me about the iconic vision, the, you know, bliss or eudaimonia, which means happiness in the Greek. Um, from this uh, state of bliss. Um, but let's just look at these earthly here and now subjective indicators. And, and David's listed out a bunch of them. Can't, can't uh, It's not necessary for me to believe in God to achieve these things. And uh, this, this is his claim this week. Um, so I wanted to honor that and just forget about the ontological foundation issue. Um, where I, I don't think he can fulfill like true happiness without God. Um, can you just uh, achieve this mere happiness without God uh, or belief in God? Um, now in the first place, on a purely subjective level, I think it's been science has proven that um, human beings are religious creatures. It, it, you know, some people even think it's in our DNA for crying out loud that um, there does most people on this, the vast majority of people have this yearning, this theistic or, and or religious impulse. Um, and it, it expresses itself in different ways, but uh, just on a subjective needs level, that there is this additional need that I don't think atheism can provide for most people. There's no means to fulfill that uh, religious impulse or this this desire for something higher and, and beyond ourselves. So um, that might be a, uh, one of the essential ingredients uh, for living a well life uh, on a purely subjective level that atheism just doesn't 
really touch uh, unless you adopt or something like that religious elements and elevate something beyond the truth of it like elevating uh, one of these factors that David outlines to the status of an idol of a, of a god and you worship that or something like that um, now in terms of David's specific example so he provides well, well look money money is something that uh, makes people happy, right? On a subjective level, money is good. Uh, on an objective level, money is good, by the way. Uh, Jesus doesn't say what Jesus, uh, what David outlines him as saying. Uh, that's a debatable interpretation that Jesus is against God. Some, some people argue that, uh, against money. Some people argue that, but most biblical scholars, uh, virtually all of them that I know of that are actual scholars, disagree. Jesus wasn't seeing, in order to be happy, you have to give up all your money, live like communists, and, uh, you know, you, you can't have money to buy food and bread and all this. That That's not what Jesus was saying in these, these verses. He's saying, look, don't make mammon or money your God. Don't be covetous. Don't be jealous and, and greedy. This These are the underlying sinful attitudes towards the object of money, which in and of itself is a good thing. I, I, I make money uh, and I use it to buy food. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's this attitude. I, I save money as well uh, for my retirement and that sort of thing. But it, it's this greedy attitude. And I think Jesus says some radical things in contrast to the Apostle Paul, for example, where Jesus is, tells, uh, was it Nicodemus, where, you, you know, whoa, not Nicodemus, it was someone else uh, that said, what, you know, how do I get saved? I, oh, well, follow the laws of things. Oh, I've, I've done it to a T. Oh, you, you've Rich done young good. Ruler. Sorry? Rich young ruler. He never got a name. Rich young ruler. Okay. Yeah. And then he yeah, says... We'll, uh, we'll call him Sam. Okay. Uh, so the, the rich young Sam. And then he says... Go out and what? Uh, what else can you do? Go out and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. Um, and the guy's like, "This is ridiculous." Now, David wants to take this so hyper literally and know, as though it's in, indicative of Jesus' attitude towards money overall, and that everyone rich has to give up all their money. Um, and of course, that's not what Jesus meant. Jesus had a business. He was a middle-class carpenter. People like to think of him as some poor itinerant preacher, but actually most scholarship has changed that view. They see him as a middle-class person who could have spoken Greek and would have been in the, uh, you know, selling his items in the cities and that sort of thing. Um, so it, it's not necessarily that Jesus was a dirt poor. His family had money. They used money. They made money. They liked it. Um, but they just didn't have it. They didn't prioritize it out of proportion. And that's what I think Jesus is saying here. Look, literally, you, you have that guy, the rich young ruler, had to be willing to give up all of his money. All of us as Christians have to be giving up, willing to give up every cent, if necessary, if there are circumstances whereby that is required for the sake of God's kingdom. Um, you, you can't be. No, no, no. I, I want, I want my money even at the expense of, of going to heaven. No, no, you have to be, that's meaningless. You can't take that with you when you die. That, that is meaningless in comparison to serving the interests of the kingdom of God. And that's what I take these verses to be, these, these radical verses of what Jesus is saying. And, and Jesus does this all the time in his parables. He makes radical statements to wake people up and jolt them. And they, they either are 
uh, sinful and, and of Satan and they reject it, they t- oh, I have to give up all my money and I'll, I'll walk away. Or, or they're real seekers and they, they say, well, what do you mean? Is, what, like they probe deeper. They want to know what, what is this about? They're, they're interested. They're inspired by this. And that's why Jesus uses these offensive parables or offensive sayings. And it, it allows him to divide the crowd into the, the sinful people that reject his message and the people who are more inspired, the real seekers in the group that really want to know the truth. And, you know, they'll stick around and probe him to figure things out to, you know, what, what exactly did this mean and stuff like that. Um, whereas the Apostle Paul and, and later apostles, we get later influence. Paul, Paul's message is clear. Look, Jesus didn't say give up all your money. That's ridiculous. He's saying keep your money, but use it responsibly, responsibly to help other people, to help the cause of Christ. Um, and that's the interpretation that most biblical scholars say that Jesus had here, consistent with the Apostle Paul and the practice of the early church. Uh, Lydia, that's how, that's what she did. She was rich uh, as a seller of purple. Um, so yeah, that that's that's the fundamental thing. Money is good is a good thing in and of itself. It, it's necessary for us to live a a good life, um, but keep it in its proper context. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think that's sort of my rebuttal on that one. Um, his next one, so meaningful work, uh, and I lumped in intellectual pursuits in the same thing here. So uh, meaningful work doesn't necessarily mean it could be volunteer work and that sort of thing. And I 100% agree um, with David that atheists can take satisfaction in their work. Um, I also, my, my own church is heavily Calvinist. So they're, they're kind of the Christians that God deserves all the glory. No, no, he doesn't. I did some stuff. I deserve thanks. I deserve glory for uh, some glory for doing my work on the Trinity. David deserves uh, to be proud of his achievement uh, in his debate with Tony Costa. He did a good job. And I, I actually think, it, mad respect to Tony Costa, I think he did excellent on the biblical section. But I think David did a, a better job overall in the philosophical aspects, and he won the argument. Um, and that, that doesn't imply anything bad about Tony. Tony's a, a brilliant person. He he does great in all those subjects. It's just in this one debate, David happened to win the debate in, in most people's opinion and, and in my opinion. Um, you deserve credit for that. You did you did your homework. You you reached out for me to help uh, for help in understanding and coming up with objections that uh, skeptical philosophers raise against this. Um, you deserve credit for that. God didn't do that. You did. Uh, now that said, again, we've got to keep our accomplishments um, in perspective because we always have to be mindful of God's role uh, and be thankful to him in proportion to what he's done for us. And, and that's what I think these uh, Christians that want all the glory to God, I think that's what they're wanting to do is, is you're not totally independent. Remember, God is here. God is responsible for you. You wouldn't exist without God. You, you wouldn't have these faculties to achieve these uh, acts unless God did uh, gave them to you. Um, God sustaining you in existence and that sort of thing. So I, I think that's what the the Christians are trying to get at is, look, you're you're not totally independent. 
Um, and it's not even all about God. Other people, we're, we're all social beings. Uh, you know, my my achieving a uh, certain accomplishment, I, I need to thank others who were involved. You always see the Oscars, you know, thank you to the directors, thank you to the writers. I wouldn't have been able to achieve what I did without their input or their in the process and that sort of thing. So that this is what we're trying to to say here is, Look, God has a role in everything that happens, in all of your accomplishments, and don't forget to give him his due credit and gratitude in in what you've achieved and that sort of thing. Um, Now, in terms of meaningful work um, and and taking appreciation or satisfaction in in these endeavors, sure, of of course, um, People can do that without belief in God, um, obviously, right? I, I can't deny that that's a fact of, of life. Um, however, I think with with God in the picture, it helps us, number one, keep things in perspective, as I said, and prevents us from uh, taking things like becoming workaholics and taking too much pride um, and, and a dishonest pride in our achievements, something that we we don't really deserve. We did it all ourselves or something, or um, stressing the importance of our work uh, far greater than what it really is. Um, you know, it's, people think they're out changing the world because they're out protesting for, you know, save the climate or whatever. You're not, let's be honest, you're not doing jack uh, or very little. Sure, it makes you feel good, but you're, you're not saving the world. We've seen protests. It, it accomplishes very little. Um, do you deserve credit for standing up uh, and, and spend, sending out a message that you believe is helpful and true? Yes. But you're not saving the world. You don't deserve to be treated as Superman because you're doing that. Uh, you have to have this proper con- contextualizing of the importance of of the work that you're doing. Um, and that's that's what I think God provides for us. And in addition, something that atheists, I don't think they can get, is Christians uh, have this overall context of the meaning within God's purposes that provides an additional uh, significance to our to the work that we're doing. It, it's it, within the context of God's providential plan to save as many souls as possible and the salvation of humanity. I, when I do a blog, I believe I get something out of it that David can never get. Uh, I have something of eternal significance that's playing into the utmost uh, important thing that human beings are capable of doing, aka fostering uh, the achievement of uh, allowing as many humans to achieve their ultimate purpose in creation as possible. I, I'm playing a role in that greater plan, and that's an additional psychological or subjective benefit that makes me feel good uh, that uh, I'm doing something important and that sort of thing. And uh, it's not clear to me that atheists would have this additional component. Um, I know David will challenge that. Um, yeah, so in terms of social engagement and healthy living, uh, of course, um, yeah, we're social creatures. Um, part of part of that, though, is, look, we're, we're also social creatures with God. God is a person, uh, or persons, as we found out last week, with whom we should have social interaction if he's true. And atheists, by definition, because they don't believe he exists, don't have a relationship with God. They're missing out on something that's, uh, a subjective happiness factor. Um, think of how happy they would be if God is God exists and he is God, a maximal great being. 
you've been totally wrong about him in, in your skeptical objections to him being a bad boy and all this stuff. No, he is God, the, the way Christians view him. He and he's real. You could be ha you're supposed to be having a relationship that will bring joy to you and joy to God. Um, but you're missing out on that as an atheist. So, so there's that element. Sure, you can have social engagement with humans, gain happiness from that. Those are all good, um, great, grand, and groovy. But um, you're missing out on at least one relationship that's very important to who we are as human beings. Healthy living. Um, oh, I found uh, so I found something in your speech. So I, I agreed with it um, totally. That yeah. It, Living a healthy life is a good in and of itself. I can take happiness in the fact that I don't have major uh, medical problems in the same way that uh, David does. Um, that that's, and I totally agree with David in the sense that we ought to do David. We ought to take all measures to aspire to have a healthy life. David needs to get surgery to correct something that's wrong with him, do it. Don't just sit around and, and pray or uh, and, and that's it. But at the same time, you should also be praying and that sort of thing and relying on God in your sickness and, and that sort of thing. Uh, it's a both and. It's not an either or is the point that I'm getting at. Um, now, here's the part that David bring up, and he, he brought this up with Helen Painter when she was on our show. Do, are Christians commanded to revel in their weakness or suffering and that sort of thing? And the answer is no, depending on what you mean by revel. No, I am commanded to take joy no matter what and be content. I aspire to, to have no suffering. I don't seek out suffering. But we live in a fallen world and the Bible says, look, it, it's going to happen. It happened to Paul. It happened to Peter. It happened to the Christian martyrs throughout history. So this stuff happens and you need to be just as happy and content in life as if you had a, a perfect life sheltered from all harm. Um, you don't let this sin, the sinful world, get to you because you've got God. You've got your eternal life uh, ahead of you. you. You've got this ultimate purpose. You've achieved your ultimate purpose in creation. Um, so experiencing a little suffering, uh, it shouldn't bother you. Um, you, you can. The, I make the distinction. Look, I care about stopping my suffering, but I'm not worried about it. If it happens, so be it. And the case of that is uh, Tara and her persecution campaign that she did on me, right? She, I was, I cared that she was emailing, trying to email employers of mine or something, if she could somehow find out where I worked. Uh, or she emailed like the university to try and get me kicked out of university to ruin my career plans. I, I cared about this. Or, or you know, with David Smalley's show, I, I cared. Uh, I had discussions with David and I, I cared about, well, what if this backfires on me? Because I'm, I'm representing a controversial view. Um, this could have repercussions down the road. I'll, I'll certainly never be a politician. I know that. Uh, if I ever ran for president, th that interview would be found and used, and I'd not get the job. So I, I have experienced some uh, uh, drawbacks even from that. I, but I just don't care about being a politician anyways at this time. But. The point was, I wasn't worried about it. Even if things went as a worst-case scenario, I knew that I was within God's providential plan, and I trusted Him. I, I hoped for the best. I, 
I was I cared. I wanted to take all precautions to prevent bad stuff from happening. Uh, but at the end of the day, I took a stand and I, I wasn't worried. If if that happened, okay, so be it. I, I know I won't like it in here and now, but I'm going to endure it and be happy and know that God, this is happening within God's overall plan. Um, another aspect to this for Christians and that sort of thing is sometimes, the Bible does say that, look, sometimes you're suffering as a means for God to discipline you. It's, it's a salvation-fit character-building exercise. So, you know, so th- through suffering, you, you strengthen your character and that sort of thing, and you s- strengthen your resolve. Um, and I can attest that this this happened to me. I'm stronger than when I was before I went through the Terra, uh, the Terra Terror, as I like to call it. Uh, <laughs> um, so in a, in a fallen world, God knows in his providence, providence that you know, sometimes suffering is necessary to, to get the job done. And it can actually be good for you, even if suffering in and of itself is not a good thing that people should seek out uh, as some sort of badge or something like that. Um, yeah, so, so that's what I'd wanted to say on those things. Okay, conclusion. Uh, time to grow up, skeptics. Um, so so David uh, tries to deride Christians. Look, they're immature little children that need their sky daddy to help them live a fulfilled life. And I say, actually, you know, the, David goes on and says, I don't need, I'm a big boy. I don't need God to to take care of me. I can, I'm totally independent. I can do it all myself. And sorry, they, I think you need to grow up skeptic. This just sounds like you're a toddler having a little tantrum, foolishly deluding yourself into thinking that I can take care of myself. I don't need God. I don't need, I don't need anyone and stuff like this. Um, so no, I, I think that growing up, it's like a little, it's like uh, skeptics remind me of little toddlers that think they can take care of themselves. So they run away from home. Two hours later, at most, they're, they're coming back. They realize how foolish they were. They can't take care of themselves. They need their parents to take care of them. And in the same way with God and skeptics, it's, look, you're like a four-year-old toddler. Actually, because God exists and the Christian God is true, growing up means recognizing your your limitations. It means being honest that, hey, look, I'm not totally independent. I need help sometimes and and skeptics recognize this as david said he, there's this need for social engagement we have needs for other humans i need the government i i, I recognize the limitations uh, i i couldn't function as well as i am if i if i was living in a, a state of chaos with no laws or police or anything like this so it's the same deal with coming to realize look you're you're dependent on god god uh, does certain things. You, you cannot live um, a, a safe, salvation fit life without God, without the Holy Spirit in your heart sanctifying you. Um, you will not be justified without God. You, you cannot achieve your salvation. It is inevitable. Uh, I was going to say impossible, but I won't say that. It, it is inevitable that you will fail to fulfill your own salvific justification. You needed Jesus to die on that cross uh, for you to be atoned. The, these are some things that growing up means you need to recognize are true and that you do, in fact, need God in the same way you need other humans for things. Um, so, so yeah, I, I would say growing up is is about 
recognizing and acknowledging your own limitations. Don't be the little four-year-old toddler saying, I can do everything myself. I don't, I don't need my parents. Uh, grow up, skeptics. Um, yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, David, go ahead. Okay. All right. Thank you, Dale. No problem. Huh. So where to begin? I ran away from home once. So did <laughs> I. Two of the two are the worst hours of my life. <laughs> uh, I I had this um, this idea that I was gonna walk somewhere, and mm -hmm. I was gonna live off of stolen food from grocery stores. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I don't know. It, look, see, I, it wasn't, I, it wasn't my, a good plan. Just... Okay, in my in my case, when I did it, I, I think I was about five or six, and um, some guy had convinced me that he had. In, we had this place called the Jungle. We called it uh, in the back, and he said, "Hey, I've, I've got a bunch of tigers and uh, a million dollars or something in, hidden here." So. Uh, yeah, one, one time I, I was angry at my parents or my dad or something, and so I actually ran away. And my plan was, I'll take the million dollars from there and the tigers, and then I'll <laughs> become famous with them and something. I, I don't know. But I, yeah, I had some kind of <laughs> weird plan. <laughs> so uh, if you run away from home with a bad plan, <laughs> just uh, drop us a comment. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, yeah, I will. I will grant that uh, kids have a very uh, inappropriate view of what it's like to be an adult, um, and especially when your plan is that you're going to set off walking. I mean, you don't even have a bicycle for Pete's sake. So you're, you're young and you know you're healthy and you've got all kinds of energy and you think, yeah, I can just I can walk the whole earth. Um, it's not a problem. I'll, I'll run half of it. Uh, and so that lasts until you're tired, your feet are sore, and you're hungry, and you're nowhere near the grocery store that you were going to rob. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, um, I, I think we'll come back to the whole um, grow up part in a minute. Um, let's just go back up toward the top. Um, in fact, let's go above the top to the theme that you can have a good life uh, without regard to a God. Uh, so uh, I've made my case. I offer myself as living proof because I have a good life and I don't believe in God. Uh, case closed, I win. That's probably not uh, the whole of the conversation. Uh, but I'm, excuse me, got the hiccups. I'm pretty sure that we've got a lot of listeners out there who have even better life than me, who don't believe in God. So again, case case closed. You don't actually need a, a God to live a good life. We've got a lot of Christians out there who are not living such a good life. They're, they're not even living the life I'm living. <laughs> My life isn't one to be compared to, uh, for the most part. Um, and they're not living a good life. And so believe in God does not seem to be uh, a determining factor of whether one can or uh, should or will have a good life or not. So just on that point alone, Dale, how do you answer that? 
yeah, it's, it's so outside of the so that that's why I suggest uh, people listen to that show where where um, David is saying why I don't care about the Bible because I, I think there's a different answer depending on when you're talking about the ontolo- ontologically whether someone can live a good life versus subjectively and I, I do think that it, it's possible psychologically that some atheists can live a subjective good life uh, you know maybe they're just they don't care about achieving self-actualization needs or something. They're happy with just the basic needs. Or maybe some people are so, you know, like Scrooge McDuck. Hey, look at all this gold money I've got. And they go swimming in their uh, their vault with a bunch of gold coins in it or something. Um, so definitely it's possible for people to be happy um, on a subjective level. But... That's I think not for, the claim, though. The claim is uh, that a person can have a good life, not whether they're just subjectively happy. Now, maybe we need to define what a good life is, but I declare that I have a good life, and I know people who have good lives who don't believe in God. You either you either agree, you either think that we're right or we're wrong about that. So, are you making an objective? type claim like you're, you're living like these are requirements for the good for living the good life and that if you have these elements then you are living a quote-unquote true truly good life like we're, we're going back to the, oh no, no okay. i don't care about the two i don't care about the ten poles like i said you can take these six and throw them out put put six different ones in there i can make the same case i think these happen to be important and this is what i came up with but i'm no great sage there are greater sages than me who have put their mind to this particular will and pushed and you know gotten different results so that's fine um but i'm saying that whatever the good life is objectively speaking uh if there is in fact an objective way of speaking of this uh it doesn't require god to have it uh, and as far as i can determine what a good life is i have one yeah, so, so ontologically speaking, it, it does require God, but on a lo- lower level, even pretend that there are objective criteria. Um, I, w- I would say it's objective that having enough food to eat is part of living a good life. You're, you're right. This is a basic um, tenet, and, and therefore, by implication, having enough money um, and or goods to trade to, to get to fulfill that need Yes, a, a, a skeptic without belief in God, let's say it that way, um, can l- fulfill that element of a good life, of an objective good life. Um, yeah, I mean that—that's there are cer- there are certain elements that could be fulfilled on that level without belief in God. But I guess the question is: Are these things alone sufficient? Um, are there certain things in addition that are required objectively uh, to live a good life and that sort of thing? Um, right. So that's where that's where it always goes. Now, just say that if there are some, uh, let's say, mystical uh, aspect to this, uh, I don't know what it is, and I don't care, because if it's a good life for me. It's a good life, and I don't actually care if my life is not a good life for you, because you're not the one who has to live it. Uh, and so I'm not entirely sure why I should care about your definition of a good life. 
any more than you should care about my definition of a good life. Well, if we're talking objectively, then yeah, if there is a standard for the good life, then you have, then all of us have to care what that is. But you would have to prove that there is some objective standard to the good life. And I, I think that's where the breakdown comes. So Christians claim that there's some kind of standard because they don't want people like me going around and saying, hey, you can live a good life without God. They, they want to say, no, you can't. But then, then it kind of breaks down from there. What, why can't I? Why is my life not good? And, and you can, you can, you know, say some words at that point, but they don't have any um, bearing on the experience of my living my life. And so, you know, unless I have an understanding that my life is not good, then my life is good. And, and yeah, so what, what, how, how would I come to a knowledge that my life is not good from some objective way? Right. So, so here's what you're doing. Your, object, your quote unquote objective standard is just subjective, subjective happiness. If, if each individual person is just, you know, it's, it's like saying um, someone could be happy without uh, meaningful work. Maybe they just work in a factory their whole lives and they don't see their, their job as meaningful or something like that at all. But they're subjectively speaking they're that's good enough for them they're they're happy with that i, so. I think there are exceptions to all of these things which is why i don't put that much weight on my own tent poles right so so i would just say the, the only way to defeat that is say that the, this subjectivist standard is objectively wrong uh that's, well, i'm asking for your objective measure to say that it's wrong i mean you're saying that my subjectivity is objectively wrong I can see where you would say it's subjectively wrong, but how do you say it's objectively wrong? What's the object? How? What am I missing? Well, how do you? This is your claim. So how do you prove that this objective subjectivist standard is, in fact, the correct way to tell if one is living a good life or not? How do you? Because how do you argue? I am happy. So happy. It's a, so it's, a, it's, a De, it's a kind of a Descartes type of thing. I. I think I am happy, therefore I am happy, and I think okay. my life is good, therefore it is good. I am not entirely sure we can get underneath it any more than that. Gotcha. So, so mere happiness, subjective mere happiness, is well, your own. Well, it's not. It's, I, this is why I add more words to it. It's not just that you know I feel some sense of euphoria. Uh, I wouldn't describe my happiness as a sense of euphoria, but I think that my life is good, therefore my life is good. Uh, and I don't know how I could challenge the I think my life is good, but turns out it really isn't. How, how do we, how do so we how do you, measure that? Okay, well, here's a, a way I could say there's a problem with that. Hitler was subjectively happy with his life. Um, he's not killing Jews and millions of people in World War II to take over the, the world or, you know, all of Europe at least is... Uh, that was awesome. That was uh, that was living the good life. Um, now, in your subject, objective, subjectivist standard, you cannot, you cannot say that no, that's wrong. Um, no, for him, that works, right? That there is no. I think, that, that I think Hitler did live many aspects of a good life. So I don't. I I, I wouldn't. Did he live the good I wouldn't life? Take this, I wouldn't take this. 
emotional argument that you're trying to make, you know, and say, well, it's Hitler, and so far, and so that'll defeat you. No, it doesn't. Hitler, uh, first he, of all, we don't know enough about Hitler to know whether he was actually happy or not. So I don't, I don't know what his mental state was. People who have, uh, uh, you know, talked about Hitler's mental state, uh, some have said, you know, maybe he wasn't. Uh, such a happy, well-balanced uh, human being, I mean, and so I don't—I don't know that he considered himself as uh, in possession of uh, a good life or not. But we—we we do, do have personal writing. We do have—we do have personal writing. So from—and again, I'm not—I haven't studied this in depth, but from what I've read, we—he does seem pretty happy, except for towards the end of the. The war, like from when he was in power and that sort of thing, and and that he was very happy early on, from what I can tell. Um, but obviously, once he started losing World War II, his mental state became very depressed and that sort of thing. Losing a war can kind of get you down. Yeah, <laughs> um, but but the the main point is, look, did he have all the essential ingredients under your standard? mere happiness to be said to have lived the good life not just not just did he have some elements of it that that's not fulfillment of the good life you you have certain essential criteria that you you don't i get that you don't want to be pinned down on what right and i don't are, i don't think i use the term the good life either i use the term a good life because i don't believe there is a the good life <laughs> right so the, this is this is why i don't really care about my own tent poles uh, you so, can live a different good life than the one that I have outlined. Okay, so so by the good life, I'm just saying the good life t for you under your subjectivist standards means that each person has this underlying mere ha subjective feeling of, of happiness with their life. That This is what defines the good life or a good life. Um, yeah, and I mean, I, you keep using the word happiness. I... I you know, I'm tempted to challenge even that, that a person could be uh, subjectively not pleased with uh, the way things have turned out and still uh, be said that it was good. I mean, a person plays a game and loses, and is sad about losing, but they're happy about having played the game. So I, I don't, I wouldn't even say that happiness in the way you're using it is, you know, the end goal as much as maybe one of the tent poles um, of a okay. good life. So would it, would it be happiness, with the happiness, it would be happiness overall, would you say? Or it's, it's obviously think, not happiness, maybe there's every single yeah, aspect there's, of one's there's life. Of, I might there's be. a certain satisfaction that at the That's end fine. of the life, you lived it well. Um, so I think that is one aspect of it. Um, so a person can have a good life without being euphoric through the whole thing. Okay. Um, so you know, it's, okay, it's so like it a well played sat game satisfaction. It's, it's a well played game that you didn't win, but you but you're satisfied with the way you played it. Okay. Um, so so this sati subjective satisfaction. Do you have any ideas as to what some of the other subjective indicators might be like? Um, yeah, because I, I, it's hard for me to reply. Right. Well, and, I mean, well, speaking of Hitler or any bad man, you know, let's say let's say a bad woman, bad person. Um, I don't even like talking about people in terms of whether they are bad or not. People, you know, they're people who do things that are 
uh, antisocial and bad for society. But that doesn't mean that within their world, they didn't live a good life or some version of a good life. Um, now, they, they've missed out on some things. Uh, they, they've missed out, for instance, on the uh, good company uh, of society, and we are social creatures. And so I think that it is fair to say uh, that if a social creature does not have good society, uh, they're missing something. Now, they may not know they're missing it, uh, but that doesn't mean that they're not missing it. That doesn't mean that the life that they lived wouldn't have been better if they had had this other component. Right. So, so you're starting to become more of a theist. Like, there, someone can have internal you satisfaction. But there are certain you. there are certain objective elements that if they don't experience that, then they're not living a good life or the good life. Theists do that too. Now we have different items that we would include there. Obviously, belief in God and or the existence of God is a, is a fundamental part of that. Um, and you're just saying, well, no, it's not. Um, how, how do you well, having, determine... having had belief in God, I can say from experience, no, it's not. It's not a part of any good life because I didn't have a better life when I believed in God than when I don't. So maybe someone who has always believed in God and never believed otherwise, maybe they think they have something that's objectively different and better. But, you know, those of us who have had both can say with much deep experience, uh, no, it's not better. But you sound like you just sound like Hitler or the person that doesn't know Whoa, that good side. Really? No, no, in, in this in this sense, in the sense that wow. you're you're just ignorant of what's what the good like life Hitler. is. There's well, a, in this respect, listen. Remember, remember, you said okay, so satisfaction plus uh, someone could be ignorant that good society is a criterion for a good life. Um, and I'm saying, well, uh, belief in God is a criterion for good life. And you're just saying, no, subjectively, I, I don't think that's the case. So, okay, well, why once is again, someone who has not had good society can't judge whether or not it is good criteria or not. But someone who has had both could judge it. But you have uh, had and both. I, and I am saying, you, you've admitted yes, that you were, never a, you were never a, you were never a, you never experienced the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. I remember asking you, uh, I think in the first show that we ever did, and, and you admitted, yeah, I've never experienced the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now, um, you're, you're, I, don't, I don't know where you're going with that because all non-believers, all exigents would say they've never experienced the inner witness of the Holy Spirit because we don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but I, I remember I asked you, but as a Christian, didn't, didn't you have this experience that at least you would have said at the time was the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. And you said, no, no, you didn't. So like, well, there's I think a those fundamental... comments should be, I think those comments should be taken a bit more charitably than what you're taking. Uh, I'm trying to remember a lifetime ago uh, and sort through uh, lots of complex emotions. I don't know that there was anything that you know, ever jumped out at me and said, no, nope, this is God, as opposed to this is a, the chemical bundle, uh, you know, in your, in your nerve, your, your spine. I don't know, I, you know, I am not qualified to make that distinction. I, I have never been qualified to make that distinction. And so I could never say 
you know, this is this is some natural euphoria versus this is some Holy Spirit generated peace. And I think it's unfair to um, to um, you know a, a even ask the question because I have no way of knowing. Uh, I, I know that I believed in God to the extent possible for one like me to believe in God, and I devoted myself to that belief. Whether you think that's true or not is utterly irrelevant to me. Um, but as as someone who had given themselves totally uh, to the mission of being uh, godly and possessed by uh, the Spirit of God, uh, I did all that. And, you know, whether the sensations I had were otherworldly or not, or whether I ever thought that one was particularly more otherworldly than any other, whether I thought I could prove that some sensation was otherworldly or not, I think that the answer would be no to that. Uh, but the answer is not no as to uh, my effort. Uh, and I just, I have always been very cautious about how I interpret and label sensations. Okay, okay, so it's like, I think you're, I was trying to establish a, a link about how we, how someone's ignorance, subjective ignorance on it, given criterion versus that, but uh, I, I think you're taking it a little bit in a, in a wrong way. So I'll, I'll, I'll go back to your, okay, good society criterion. Um, okay, well, how do you establish that good society criterion is an objective element of living a good life? Why, why is uh, not bad society? People are, are happy as social creatures. I get that scientific, scientifically proven about humans, but it, it's not that I need to, you know, cavort, cohort, or whatever it is with the creme de la creme of society. Actually, those are usually most boring or worst people to be around. And, and certainly Hitler was in the high society. Germans at the time were, my goodness, they, they were among the leaders of the world during the time of the First and Second World War. And uh, hit, I've seen videos, Hitler hanging out with various uh, celebrities and that sort of thing. So, like, he... He fulfills this objective criterion. He was in the company of good society, and and they all. You, you, I'm like, sorry, I, gotta, I just have to stop. You keep uh, inserting this idea of objective criterion, which I am not going for. Never have been going for. Wasn't going for. You can take my tent poles and toss them out and put some more in there. Uh, these are not. This is not an attempt to say this is what is objectively required to live an objectively good life. So it's a conversation. It's. Uh, it, these are things that I think are required for me to live the kind of life that I uh, label a good life. But all of these are open to debate. And when you talk about when I talk about society, uh, uh, social interaction, if you will, um, then even if you agree with that, then we still have to have a discussion about degrees. So how much social interaction does a person need to have? Do I True. need to? Uh, you know, have the kind of relationships where I invite people to my house every weekend uh, or, you know, I go to parties or, you know, what, because I'm never going to be that guy. And I think I can have a good life. I, I still can have more social interaction. I still could care more about what goes on the world now. But at what point does that become a vice? Um, so I don't know the answers to those things. I know that as social creatures, uh, we need a certain amount of social interaction. Uh, the jury is open to how much that is. Uh, so I'm, I'm not trying to develop objective criteria. 
Okay, so so if if it's just purely subjectivist, then then satisfaction or even mere happiness alone could be if if that was enough for Hitler, he lived a good life. Um, could be. Okay. Well, then it, I mean, it's I would to... I would disagree with Hitler on whether he lived a good life, and uh, millions upon millions of other people in the world would disagree. But from Hitler's perspective, maybe he did. I'm not I'm not uh, arguing that you can be antisocial and I mean that you can't live a good life and be antisocial. But I think that the the evidence we have, you know, if you if you're looking at my standard is just the evidence of billions of lives having been lived. And we can look at the consequences of those. And we can look at the lives that we say, you know, I would like to live that kind of life. And when you when you pull those kinds of lives together and you look at the characteristics of those kinds of lives, then you can make the kind of list that I've made today. That right. This is yeah. a characteristic of the kind of life that I would consider a good life. And I think most people would too. But once again, it's open to debate. Right. So, yeah. So I, I guess because because this debate is not about the objective standard, it, it is like obviously the, the true Christian response is no, that's not the good life. This is the good life ontologically speaking and blah, blah, blah. But in this debate, it's a bit harder because we're going with the subjectivist standard. So. I, I guess, well, and I guess it's, what we're not doing is we're not the, yielding the idea that there is an objective standard, and I'm not I'm not going to make you try to argue that today because I know that you yeah. just point to the debate that we've already had. But yeah. I, I I would I would so, argue so I guess, first and foremost we don't have an objective standard in that in that sense. But even as subjectionists, there are things that we can look at about uh, the lives that people live and point out the things that are make up a good life and things that make up a not so good life. Yeah, so so yeah, I, I guess the only thing I can do on the subjective end of the debate is, is, okay, well, you've laid out elements that are important to you. Forget about universalizing this to satisfaction criterion for Hitler and, and all of this. Uh, it's not It's not even that there is no there is no objective standard that I'm responding to in this case. It, it's just sort of, money and okay well money is is one of the things that subjectively makes you happy this is on your standard this is a criteria that um makes you as as a as a person uh feel like you're living a good life if you if you have it um okay well let let me do this as a subject is there a question of degrees with money um, do you think that there's that you would be happier with more, uh, and to what extent is there a limit where if you have more, too much money, it's bad, or I don't know, like what what do you think on the question of degrees then? Okay, so my uh, advice for a fuller answer to this question is start with uh, Matthew, read through the end of John, uh, catalog everything that Jesus said about money, and then do and think the opposite. That would be that would be a good place to start on, on, uh, okay. on that attitude toward money. Um, so, since uh, we know that Christians aren't actually going to read their Bible, uh, let me try to give a more useful uh, answer uh, for that. Um, 
so I have thought about this a lot. Uh, and yeah, a matter of degrees, I don't know that I would put it that way so much because I don't think there's a such thing as too much money. Okay. Uh, I do think there's a such thing as too little money. So yeah. um, those, you know, too, too little money seems to be something that is objective. You can tell when you have too little money by when you're losing weight and, you know, or yeah. uh, sick from exposure, you know, and things like that. You have too little money. That's your real problem, okay? <laughs> so don't go to the doctor, go to a banker. You need some money because <laughs> you, you need food and maybe you need a better place to live. So I, I, think, it's, I think it's objectively, trivially easy to say uh, too little money. But now how much money is a good amount of money? I would I would just say the answer to this question is just as hard, if not harder, for the Christian uh, as it is for the secularist. Uh, so I would start there. I do have some other answers, but I would start there. Yeah, I would take issue with that. And this is something I, I mentioned in my blog a bit is, so because I have belief in God, uh, God's providence, uh, again, we're not talking about the ontology, I get that, but subjectively speaking, as, as a psychological benefit, the, the Christian theist has faith that God has his overall providential, uh, providential will, and that you know, the Bible says things like God does, everything that happens will happen together for good. So therefore, I would say, regardless of the amount of money, even if I'm starving to death or something, even if I'm dirt poor, uh, one can still have this additional psychological happiness because, based on their trust that God is going to take care of them. Whatever happens will happen for good. Um, and if I'm in this, if I, if I, uh, let's say I'm a middle class person and I, I, you know, I don't have ten million dollars, I can know that. Well, that's that's I'm not supposed to have ten million dollars. Maybe if I. Maybe if I was a millionaire, that would corrupt me. I, I would become greedy. I would be uh, develop different character traits that would make me not salvation fit. So, so okay, where, you know, where did you get the idea that you're not supposed to have ten million dollars? Though, I mean, what would generate that idea in your mind in the first place? Molinism. Uh, if if, it, if I was, I would have it right now. No, um, that's not true. If you worked harder and did different things, you would have it. It's it's not a matter of oh, well, if you were supposed to have it from the beginning. Put it this way: I, I would, I don't, I might have it at time five, but at time two, I don't have it. And psychologically speaking, I trust in God. That's because I'm not supposed to have it. If I had ten million dollars at time two, that might have had negative ramifications. So I can, I can take subjective comfort in the fact that hey, uh, there's no need for me to be envious. And, you know, I should have $10 million now, uh, like uh, the $10 million millionaire, uh, the millionaires of the world. No, I, I'm in the, exactly in the place that God wants me within his providential plan. And maybe it's his plan that I'll become a millionaire. I'll go out and work and, and earn that money, and we'll see if I get it or not. But the point is, whatever happens, I have this subjective uh, satisfaction, as you called it, that... Um, I think results from believing in God. Okay. So I would fundamentally disagree with that, and I would put that in the last uh, uh, segment of uh, you got to grow up and be independent. So I don't. You're, you talk about your condition in time two versus time five. Well, if you want to be a millionaire in time five, 
you got to start in time too. Um, you've got to start by wanting to get there. Otherwise, you're going to be sitting around in time five saying, well, I guess God didn't want me to be a millionaire. Yeah, but it, 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 it prevents, I'm talking about, that's true, right? No one's saying that I, I'm not, Christians shouldn't go out and work for it. But it's, it's saying we, we are prevented from having a certain negative, we have a positive versus a negative psychological effect from our belief in God that results. Because it, the, the atheist could be, shoot, I, I should be a millionaire right now, right this right this second, but I'm not. Something's gone wrong. I, uh, you know, dang my parents for being dirt poor, or, you know, why didn't I start working at 15 instead of 16? I could have been a millionaire now, by now, or something like that. Like, there's this All true. there's this angst that could emerge for the atheist, but for okay, the person I who... Think, I don't think all angst is bad in that sense. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be careful here because I don't want to promote angst as a way of being. Uh, but I would say uh, this, what Dale is saying is coming from a certain theological uh, perspective. So there's a Bible verse that talks about contentment, you know, uh, whatever state you are, uh, rich or poor, free or slave, um, you know, let, you, let us therewith be content. Um, and I find this to be a particularly pernicious uh, teaching of the Bible. It's a terrible terrible teaching of the Bible. Uh, I, I counter it. I oppose it uh, with all of my being. No, you should not be content with whatever state you find yourself in because you might find yourself in a particularly crappy state. Uh, you need to agitate, agitate to get out of that state and get in a better state. Uh, that's, that's what you need to be doing in, instead of saying, oh, well, you know, God, God is... Um, I'm going to take care of me in, in this state, and I don't have to worry about it because there doesn't seem to be anything I can do about it anyway. No, you need to uh, see, do everything that you can do about improving your state. And if you have this kind of otherworldly contentment, relying on someone else to come and fix it later, or relying that somehow the universe has put you in the right place at the right time, uh, then you're never going to have a particularly great state. You're just kind of going off of luck at that point. You, you may feel good about it, but yeah, contentment is the thing that's telling you you shouldn't be a millionaire. Um, if you were a little bit less content, you might be a little bit closer to that million. Yeah, I, I, so I disagree. I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. It's not the fact that, oh, you're content, therefore you'll be lazy. Uh, that That is not, those aren't necessarily correlated. One can be content with their situation no matter what and still still work hard. I mean, I'm, I'm a case in point. I, I spend a lot of time that you know of with the show. Um, you know, I... It's purely volunteer, and that's. I could just be content and say, oh, "Hey, I'm I'm a believer. I've, I'm where I'm supposed to be," um, but I still have this urge to to get out there and do the work that are mutually consistent. And I, I think it's. I, I'm not good with this history, so this is American stuff. But Stonewall General Stonewall Jackson, he he had sort of a similar attitude to me. He had a strong view of God's sovereignty, and he was always calm in battles and stuff like that. He still went out and accomplished stuff. He he earned that uh, reputation, um, but he had that simultaneously. He had this attitude: if I lose the battle, if I die, so be it. it it's God's will, and I trust trust in God. And I'm going to go out and do what I need to do to win this war. But however it comes out, I'm content. So it's it's not that they're mutually exclusive. You can have this contentment while at the same time 
taking steps to change the situation in the future for the better. Um, yeah. Did I get Stonewall Stonewall part right? Um, I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> I, I care. I care about American history probably less than you do. Very well. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, guys. Stay in school, kids. <laughs> Um, but you get you get the point is that they aren't necessarily mutually inconsistent. One can have this. I, I really do think they are because, well, in some cases. So I don't want to uh, poo-poo your point entirely. Okay. But, um, you know, when Paul says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in, I just, I think that's wrong. That's a, that's a wrong philosophy of life uh, to have. A slave should not be content. Uh, it, it, the Bible tells slaves to be content over and over again. The, the, that's because uh, the God of the Bible is okay with slavery uh, throughout the entire thing. Um, if you find yourself uh, in some cage in the Congo, you need to spend every minute of your life trying to get out of that goddamn cage. Um, you should never be content there. And so, I, you know, if you find yourself in deep poverty, uh, I, I do feel for you. You should not be content there. You should be doing everything that you can to get out uh, out of that. I've uh, I've said this publicly. I've been on the public dole uh, before. Um, I was not content there. You, you cannot stay content in whatever circumstances you find yourself in. It's a bad philosophy of life. Yeah, it's, it's again, uh, yeah, so it's the same point, though. I, I do think that we should be content in whatever circumstances. And sometimes we can't always control the circumstances. But, yeah, that simultaneously Paul tells us in, in regards to slavery to take advantage, to seek freedom if it comes, or and for uh, slave owners to free their slaves. He encourages this. He doesn't order it as a command and that sort of thing. So I get that skeptics don't, we've debated that. He doesn't go strong enough in your opinion. Um, I think he does the perfect, I think it would have been immoral for him to straightforwardly say, free all your slaves and, and or seek freedom. But given the circumstances that we're in and we can't control all of those, uh, one can act, be active in trying to change things for the better. I think Paul is saying this, while at the same time being content if, well, whatever happens, happens. Uh, look, I, I can't control what what you are doing on your other, the other end of this this Skype thing. You you might you might edit me the recording to make me sound like uh, Mickey Mouse or or a chipmunk or something, and I have no control. Much, it would much improve your argument if I did, but I'm not. <laughs> yeah, but but the the point is, uh, th there's that risk. It's a very low risk, but th there's that risk, and I. I'm content. If that happens, um, then I'll say, okay, well, that's what happens. I'll, I'll take actions now. I'll email you to say change it or something. But you might say, no, it's just staying up. Uh, and then there's nothing I can do about it because you, at the end of the day, you have, even though we're equal partners, you you have the tech skills that I don't. So you you can do. You have the power to to do anything, right? But I'm. I'm just content. Um, well, that's the situation. David has tech skills and I don't. So, you know, it, it's worked out so far, but maybe I might just keep so up. So the listener doesn't get the wrong idea. I also gave you all of the technical knowledge oh. uh, to edit the blogs and put up your own uh, podcast. So you could actually right. take this podcast and do some things.
And uh, I have Dale actually publishing the blogs, and I just do the audio uh, part myself. So it's it's not that's, it's not quite. Uh, <laughs> no, no, yeah, that that's, that's true. No, I didn't mean it to see. I, I when I say so, these things, so I, I don't can edit my stuff in my blogs and uh, make me sound like an idiot. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I wouldn't know how to. So put it okay. Let let's forget about that. Like, again, I'm not. I wasn't meaning it the way it's coming out. But you have the tech skills to record me and make me sound like a chipmunk. I have the tech skills that because you taught me how to record you. But I would have no clue how to make you sound like a chipmunk. Um, so, so I'm just saying I'm I'm content with that circumstances, and and if I want to change that, yeah, then it's okay. It's like a oh. trinity where we're equal, but we have different abilities. It, <laughs> never different mind. Goals. We're not going yeah. back there. Yeah. We're not going back there anymore. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, look, one of the reasons I'm uh, having this conversation about the money section instead of the conversation that I would like to have is because I plan on doing uh, another podcast on money. Um, uh, and so, uh, okay. even though I did uh, the blog last year, uh, the blog has been linked. I mean, that blog has been linked to in this blog. Go back and read it. Yeah. Dale was not around to actually uh, uh, challenge me on Mike with that. And so I plan to do mostly that blog again uh, within the next uh, coming weeks, maybe the next time I do a blog. Uh, and I will just keep uh, un until we're, Dale says he's ready to do the Miracle Show. Uh, because that's the the real next one. But until then, we will we will uh, in fact at some point this season uh, talk about money. And so I'm prepared to leave a lot of this on the cutting room floor. Cool. Uh, right now, because uh, yeah, we can't we can't really yeah. do it justice. Uh, I'm, I'm just speaking at a higher level right now. The Christian attitude on money. Uh, and contentment and, you know, how much we should, should chase it and what it's yeah. good for. Um, that's kind of, that's just kind of what I'm brushing over now. And I think that some of those attitudes can be detrimental. And thankfully, most Christians do not live a life that um, uh, looks anything like their rhetoric. Uh, they, they believe about money the same things I do and the same things you do. They just like to, to well, it's, talk yeah, it's, down it's, about it because Jesus did. Well, I, but trust me, they want that so I'm not, I'm not gonna, the same way as you do. Well, I'm, I'm getting and yes, I, I talk a good game, but sometimes I, I do fall short. So I try my best to I care about money. I, I have investments. I'm saving for my retirement um, and that sort of thing. So I, I take care. I do. I do actions that the Bible commands me. But I'm not worried about, oh, if I what if all the investments tank and I go bankrupt or something like that now? Practically speaking, is that totally true? Am I saying that I, I'm like Stonewall Jackson, I'm impervious to worry? No, of, of course. I, I was worried, for a little bit worried when, when Tara said she was going to email the university. That I was sincerely worried. But then I thought about it and remembered, look, I, I can care and take actions to protect myself or prevent it. But at the end of the day, uh, hey, once once my professor Paul came on and they realized what university I went, it's out of my control and I'm, I'm content. If she emails the philosophy department and they don't accept me because of that, um, okay, well, I'll, I'll live with that. I stand by my beliefs and I'll, I became, uh, I cared, but I wasn't worried about 
the outcome. Whereas at first you have this this worry that comes up, and that's what we have to aim for in in all our pursuits. Maybe if 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 my if I did go bankrupt. Um, yeah, I'd probably be worried like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get a, I need to get a job. I need to uh, drop out of school. I can't afford, you know, my career plans anymore. Uh, I need to, to make money and that sort of thing. But then stop yourself and say, look, I can take these actions. God commands me to take these actions and to be proactive. Um, but don't worry about it. Whatever happens is within his plan. So like that's. I'm not trying to pretend like I'm invincible and to the cares of the world or the worries of the world. Uh, every human experience worries, but given my theology, try to put things in perspective and that will remove this. Don't worry about it. Okay. Just do what you can and, and trust in God. Okay. So, uh, with money out of the way, uh, you had some things to say about the meaningful work uh, part of this, and uh, I was surprised to to get some agreement uh, with you here. And so I just want to give you a chance to retract uh, your statement, <laughs> lest, lest we end up agreeing here. Um, you said something, I, I said something to the effect that um, everyone needs work that they can call their own and be proud of that, that they have done um, and not simply give the credit to everything to someone else. And you agreed with that. Would you like to retract your agreement? Absolutely not. Uh, I think I think that's correct. I mean, I I am when I hold open the door for you, I did that. I deserve the credit for that. And when you do a good job at work, you are a part of that fact. I mean, think of it this way. If you're thanking others um, for their part in doing something, obviously, okay, yeah, I, I helped I helped Dale, uh, I, I helped Dale put up a podcast or something like that. You, you can say this, you, you helped teach Dale how to post on Anchor. Uh, you deserve some credit for that as a as a um, supporting actor or agent in that. But guess what? I deserve some credit for doing all the hard work of putting that together and and posting it up for people and and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it, it, I disagree fundamentally with things like my church, uh, where they no, it, all God, God deserves all the credit and glory. No, He doesn't. I, I did some stuff. I deserve some credit and glory. It's about putting things in the proper perspective. God, God deserves a heck of a lot, and he's done way more than I could ever do in my lifetime, so he deserves more credit than I do, but he doesn't take ownership over the things that I deserve credit for. Okay, well that's uh, so interesting. I don't... I, are you aware that that is a very different perspective than many Christians hope? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if that's a standard view uh, that you're presenting because I think that most of the Christians that I went to church with um, would say no you deserve zero credit for anything that you do that any any good thing you do uh, is because it was God doing it through you uh, so if you decided that you wanted to give that beggar a dollar and you thought that was a good thing it's only because God put it in your heart to give that beggar a dollar you did not have a, a good thought to do a good thing yeah, I, I, no, I, I, I don't know if it, how common it is. I, I know for sure that 
I've, I've been to three churches in my life. Uh, one was, I think, Anglican when I was really young. Uh, so I have no memories of that. Um, but So I don't know what their stance is. I went to a Presbyterian church who, um, from what I vaguely remember, they sort of taught this, that what you're saying. And now I'm at the Baptist church where very strongly Calvinist, you're a worm, you deserve nothing. So... I don't, I don't know if I'm common or not, but I think I'm right. So I, I don't really care how common it is. It, 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 it's, it's obviously biblical. The Bible ascribes moral blame. Moral blame. I, I'm given moral credit or praiseworthy or blame based on my actions. And it's the same in, in other respects. If I achieve something. So, so I think it's a biblical position to give credit to human beings for what they deserve credit for. You don't overemphasize that or you don't have a false uh, modesty and then pretend, oh, you know, they're, they're sinning. It's a false modesty. Oh, God did everything. I didn't make a free will choice to hold open that door. God deserves the credit. Now, in some cases, it may be the fact that God does, the Holy Spirit does prompt uh, things and he deserves credit for that. So, for example, in my going to David Smalley's show, I, I gave credit uh, to the Holy Spirit for for prompting me to to be brave and go ahead um, on the show. Uh, he was a he was a positive influence, so I thank him for that. Uh, but at the end of the day, I made that choice and I deserve the credit uh, for for doing that and being willing to to go on the show. So I'm not going to argue the the viability of the hermeneutics here on this matter. I don't, I think the Bible can be, can be read a different way there. Um, the, the, the Christians who think that you deserve credit for nothing are, are not out to lunch, biblically speaking. But Do you know that's, what verses they, they appeal to just out of curiosity? Like, yes, but uh, maybe, maybe that's something that I'll, I'll address in the, comments okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. just to just save a little bit of uh, time on the podcast because that's not what we're debating here gotcha. for the moment but I would I, let me just ask a clarifying question with this regard uh, so when a person goes to the doctor and the doctor and goes for surgery you know, I often hear Christians uh, pray that uh, you know God guide the hand of the surgeon and then if surgery is successful they thank God for you know, conducting a successful surgery. Did God do a surgery or did the doctor do the surgery? Who did the meaningful work here? It could be both and. Um, again, though, like I'm, there's no way to tell. I, I think in most cases, Christians are just sort of saying that. Like, I, I'm very careful when I, when I, when I'm not just giving, like sometimes you'll just give a line like, oh, God answers all my prayers. And I, quickly get called on for that. And when, when I say that, uh, when I'm speaking more precisely, I, I say, well, I, c I can only point to, you know, a f few occasions, maybe like five or six, where I'm I'm confident that, yeah, God did answer my prayer. I, I believe God answered that prayer as opposed to it just being something that uh, hap would have happened anyways. Um, so, so I do think that there is this pressure for sometimes for Christians to give too much credit that to God that he doesn't necessarily deserve. Um, but I don't think it's absolutely wrong to, it, it could be God was helped. Maybe the surgeon was drunk that day or, or was tired and, and God helped him in some way, like energize him or something. Um, but it, yeah, like I, I would just, oftentimes when Christians say this, it does just, 
they don't know. They're just saying that because that's the way piety is, right? It's like a devotional saying. So it's a you Christianism. Can't... Yeah. What I call a Christianism. Just one of those things that they say kind of thoughtlessly. All right. Well, I, look, I appreciate your uh, honest take. Uh, on that, I will not push you on that further. There's a there's an old joke. The doctor uh, looks at the family and says, "If you thank God one more time, I'll put the cancer back." <laughs> so. um, yeah, well, well, here in my Molinistic sense, it makes sense for me to thank God for everything that that happens. Um, so that's that's the way I would justify my thing and saying, "Yeah, that God, thank you, God, for for." the surgeon doing that you you are responsible for creating everything that happens all the circumstances and stuff like that so i, th I think that's something that christians should always be grateful for and, and sustaining us and being in that stuff yeah so do you want to talk about social engagement do you think a person needs some uh, form of socialization no. to be human um so no i don't i want to uh, have a thing on intellectual pursuits here uh i sorry i do you, do you I, agree I, that a person needs some type of socialization to be uh fully in the good life or do you think a person can have a fully good life as a hermit in a cave i don't think that a person can have a fully good life as a hermit in a cave um, I do think that we require social interaction, though it's a question of degree. So I'm not, I'm not overly social. I, I am an introvert, and, and uh, some people are extroverts. So the distinguishing difference in psychology between that is like, how do you get your re-energized? I, I think is what I remember when I read it. Right? Like, some people. I like having, okay, my social interaction is, you know, I, I go to a party or whatever, I hang out with friends or, or something like that, but then, okay, then I have my me time. Uh, I can come back and, you know, read a book and that sort of thing. Others are, no, I, I constantly need to be around people. I, I always have to be around them, and otherwise I'm not, they get their energy, they draw their energy from that. Um, whereas I gain my, you know, I, I gain my energy from being alone. I get re-energized, then I go out and uh, socialize with friends and family and that sort of thing. And, and uh, so it's, it, yeah, it's, it's a question of degrees. People are different. They have different personality things. I, so um, in my blog, I connect this with morality because I believe that morality, I speak in terms of ethics usually, not morality, but if I'm talking about morality, I would I tie that with uh, society. Uh, so, for instance, I don't think that a person can be moral by themselves. I think that's a meaningless thing. Morality is a um, description of how we interact with one another in relationships, um, in, in more particularly in a social uh, way. So, if you're a hermit in a cave, you can be neither moral, uh, uh, pro social, or anti social. You are asocial. Uh, at that point, and your behavior simply doesn't matter to anyone. It does not move the needle toward the good or toward the bad. And so I, I wouldn't even speak of that person in terms of morality. They are amoral in that they are asocial. Um, did you want to comment on that? So, no, that's, that's not true. Um, people can be immoral when they're devoid, even if devoid of being human being, uh, devoid of other human beings. 
is morality uh, require persons? Um, possibly. Remember that this is where belief in God. God is a person. He's three persons. So even the hermit in the cave can sin against a person, God, and be immoral in that sense. I can use God's name in vain when I'm sitting alone in a cave. Uh, I can okay, swear. Okay, then you're just agreeing with me that it's a social uh, thing. You just have more people in your society than I do. I guess so. Yeah, it is fundamentally personal. It's like saying, can someone be actively loving without another person to actually love? And no, it, it requires that social dimension. That's why I'm a, a social Trinitarian, to remind the audience of that Trinity show. <laughs> right. um, yeah, I, so, I, I do so think we I would, want... So we would agree then to a, a certain degree on the, on the higher principle of this, that the fullest life, if you're going to be said to have lived a moral life, you have to have some kind of social interaction. Uh, otherwise, your morality is somewhat meaningless. If, if you simply go up to a mountaintop uh, and you put on monk's robes and you don't interact with the world, um, you're not a moral being. Uh, you, you've taken yourself out of morality in, in terms of human beings. You know, you can you can talk about whether you're communing with God properly or not. Uh, yeah, but yeah, so. we we need some type of social interaction. I'm not going to comment on how much or what kind. I'm just saying that a a full pro-social life requires the social part. Yeah. I, I... I guess so. It comes down to what is the nature of the foundation of morality. And I do think that it's not just a set of divine rules, though I am a deontologist, that I think there are moral values and duties or, or moral principles, um, aka rules that exist. And if you violate those rules, uh, then you're immoral. Um, but beyond that well, why why is it wrong to follow these to, to violate these moral principles and that sort of thing and that gets into virtue ethics developing certain character traits that are fit for a certain telios or end goal and in the Christian context that's salvation and that's where the social aspect I would say comes in right we're, we're trying to develop characters that are fit for heaven where we're going to interact with other people human people and uh, God for all eternity and, and we've developed characters that allow us to interact blissfully and perfectly in that sense for all for all eternity so that so that's where the social aspect would f fit in to this moral foundation question i guess yeah and even in your view even in your last little speech there you talk about uh it's social interaction in heaven so uh, even yeah. you don't seem to think that in heaven you know, a good option would be sitting alone in a dark room, not interacting with people. That that the the higher calling would be a social calling. Um, sure, sure. I, I do think that you could sit alone for temporarily. Like it, it, you couldn't just sit yeah, for a few trillion for years. A, you know, huh? just in heaven. I mean, just for a few trillion years, maybe temporarily. Yeah, you could do it te temporarily. Who, who knows how long? I, I wouldn't say a trillion years. That's being ridiculous. But um, well, with infinity, it's just a drop in the bucket. <laughs> so. Right, but it, it's I don't know. I, I still wouldn't say that. But I would. I would. Yeah, like maybe maybe you spend like a day, a couple days alone while you 
go over something that you're having fun with that's a, a lone extra enterprise and then you go out you're maybe you're doing uh to go back to intellectual pursuits maybe you're doing an intellectual pursuit in heaven a research and you discover it then you go out and share your discovery with it with others after a couple days of being alone and studying um then you join the social aspect um and go out and share that research with people in, in heaven and oh wow we never we learned something new thank you uh dale um or whoever it is um so yeah it can be it can be both and but it it, it definitely you will have to be engaging in the social aspect in that's part of what salvation is you, you can't be isolated as a hermit um from from god or the other people there Okay, so I'm going to just take all of your God talk and toss that out and say we agree. Um, yeah, but that's, <laughs> that's hell. Uh, <laughs> 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 once you get the relational absence of God, then, uh, yeah, you're, you're socializing in a bad way. I, I, would, I would want to be a hermit in hell, trust me. Uh, I would prefer that. <laughs> I'll say. I don't know. Uh, people in prison as bad a place as prison is, seem to prefer the social uh, aspect of prison as dangerous as it is, as opposed to um, solitary confinement. Yeah, I think that's because uh, they're not—they're uh, not in hell. They're in prison, where pe there is still the relational presence of God, and, and even the worst prisoners have at least some redeeming qualities. But. You know, in a world of sin unleashed, uh, people, people that where their sin is just unleashed, uh, I don't know if I'd want to, to live in that world in the company of people for very long. Um, but I mean, who knows? Um, heaven, is, heaven is social, yes, that is a necessary aspect. Okay, uh, good. So, health, uh, just so uh, the listener knows, uh, that some of that conversation will also be left on the cutting room floor because Dale and I are uh, in the background and for several weeks so I've been preparing for a podcast on miracles. Um, and I think a lot of this conversation will go there, but maybe as, just as a high level exercise. Um, let me just Hell, it's going to be uh, mentioned in the show on miracles? Hell. Hell. On the show on miracles? Hell. Yes, health. Oh, the show on health. Yeah, okay. No, no, not health. Health. Like whether you're healthy health. or not. Oh, I got you. Okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah. You've got hell on the brain. I don't know. I don't know where that's coming from. Um, that's the part to chick, chick monk ties. Yeah. Um, so my wife just uh, brought me, I had requested some coasters. And. Um, she brought me these stylized things that I don't think are actually coasters at all because okay. they, they don't sit flat. <laughs> and your, your cup doesn't sit flat on them. They, they wobble. So uh. not, not good coasters. <laughs> wobble, they slide. These are no good. Um, so Come on, wife, you can do better than that. Wife, if you are listening, uh, these these will not work. <laughs> All right, so so healthy healthy living. Yes, I I, I agree. This is a uh, we were designed originally to to live healthy, free of disease and and you know so physical does, pain. Does God want you to be healthy? 
Yes. Does God ever want you to be uh, disabled? Okay. Uh, so in, put it this way, in, in isolation, in and of themselves, no, God, God doesn't want any disabled people. Uh, he doesn't want anyone being sick in any way. These are bad things in and of themselves. Uh, but my answer changes in terms of his overall providential will be, that he asked, you know, mo the Molinistic sense, the answer would be different. You, you get that, right? No. So it sounds like you're saying uh, the answer is yes and no. <laughs> and uh, answers that are answered in yes and no are not answers to me. So let me try again. Does God, want, does God ever want you to be disabled? All right. So... I'll, I'll speak on the overall sense, in terms of his overall providential plan that he has no choice. Uh, yes, he, he, he uh, it's his will that some people will experience disabilities or they will experience uh, physical sickness and pain. Right, so I don't know why that's so hard to answer. You say it's his will, that's another say, way of saying he wants something. You know, but no, that's it. not true, right? There, there are he wills it, it's his will. But I, mean, it's, I don't know how you're using language, if that's not what you mean. Well, it's it's because there's different types of wills, right? There's the emotive will, and, and this is in the Greek language and that sort of thing. So, like, um, it, it's God's providential will, so to speak, that whatever happens, happens. That includes the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, because he's accomplishing the end goal of saving as many free creatures as possible. But in, in and of themselves, in, in isolation, God doesn't want anyone to be sick. Uh, he doesn't want anyone to be sad. Uh, he doesn't want anyone to sin. And there are verses, like in First Peter, it says, look, he, he, doesn't want, he doesn't want, or, yeah, let's put it this way, he doesn't want anyone to, to be damned and go to hell. Um, but it's his providential will that that happens, because that's the only way to save as many people's okay. souls so as possible. He doesn't want it, but he, he wills it. I don't understand that at all. Uh, like I said, we will talk more on miracles, considered as a small preview. The fact of the matter is, I don't care whether God wants us to be healthy or not. I don't care whether God wants me to have a disease or not, or whether he wants me to be disabled or not. Screw that guy. I want to be healthy. Uh, and this is the thing that I think... Um, I would just leave to all of the listeners, all of the skeptics already feel this way, all of the Christians should feel this way. Uh, do not sit around looking at your situation thinking, oh, well, I guess this is what God wanted me to be. Um, a, no, it's not, and B, doesn't matter. Uh, you should want better for yourself. Um, yeah, I remember this. We, we had this uh, as a private conversation, and, and it just strikes me as very selfish. Do, do you remember... Um, where we were talking my Molinistic defeater and that sort of thing and in the context of saving as many souls as possible. And you're like, I don't care about that Telios, that end goal. God should create a world in which I am saved. The heck with, I, I don't care if five people get saved, as long as I, I'm one of them, that's what, I, that's what I want. And if God doesn't create a world like that, then uh, the heck with that guy, as you said, um, in your own way. Um, and that, that just strikes me as being very selfish. That's not the I think goal. I probably said screw that guy, but yes. Uh, well, you actually use stronger language in one of our Did shows. I? Did um, I? Okay. Wow. Me using stronger language? 
It's it's Tyler B's uh, favorite catchphrase that you used once. Um, but <laughs> would you spell it out more? Because I'm having trouble. What what was it exactly? Uh, well, it's um, Never mind. another way of saying <laughs> fornicate you, God. Um, yeah. It's another yeah. F. It's another F. Fornicate you. Yeah, you said a word I won't repeat, but uh, no, never. Th that this is the point is, um, yeah, I think we need to have this overall perspective and not be so so selfish in order to live a good life. Selflessness is a is an essential part of that, and that means sometimes funny, you didn't make my tent poles. Sorry, <laughs> that didn't make my tent poles. This uh, selfless uh, life. Maybe we'll talk about that in a minute. But look, I look. I hear what you're saying. This is a, just a fundamental disagreement. I'll leave it for the comments. If anyone wants to talk about it, uh, they all believe molinistically uh, that um, you know you shouldn't necessarily uh, want better health or to be free from that disease. Because if God needs you to be in that disease to save more people, then you should be happy to have it. And I say. Uh, if you find yourself having a disease, you should rattle the cages of every doctor uh, and every medical scientist there is until you find a cure. Uh, because I don't, I don't honestly care what some supernatural being wanted for me or the world. That is not what should guide you in your health choices. Uh, so eat, eat well, exercise right, brush your teeth. Uh, do all of those things, and if you find yourself sick or injured, do everything that is humanly possible to get better and stop worrying about the will of somebody who might want you in that wheelchair. You, fr frankly, you should not want to do the will of someone who wants you in a wheelchair. Or someone who wills, uh, <laughs> but but yeah, again, it's the same problem. I, I won't. I'll let you have the last word here. But it's it's the same thing. You're assuming these things are mutually exclusive, and they're not. I, I can go to a doctor to seek treatment, at the same time, being content with with God's will. Maybe there is no cure. There's nothing any doctor in the world can do. Okay. Uh, Fair enough. Those are the circumstances. I'm I'm content. It, that must be the case, so that as many people will be saved as possible. And I think part of living a good life is is being selfless and and prioritizing the good of others over and above ourselves. Sometimes there there are, there are certain things where it's better to self to engage with self sacrifice. Um, otherwise, we wouldn't have firemen. Uh, it would be stupid for firemen to do their job. And why risk themselves to save people in a burning building? That's stupid. Uh, that's that's not a good life. Um, so, yeah, that, that's the only thing I'll say on that front. OK, um, uh, you had some things to say about the mind. Intellectual pursuits. Yeah. yeah. Um, did we did we disagree on that? So I, I didn't in the blog, um, and I, I'm not even sure we're going to disagree here. It depends on how you answer. Like I can I can think of a way of an atheist to answer, but here's a potential consideration where we might disagree, or or an atheist might disagree. And I find that uh, in terms of intellectual pursuits. Christians or, or believers in God can be more open-minded than skeptics or atheists can be because we're open to things like the supernatural as possibilities. Um, we're, we're open to learning things about God's nature like the Trinity, whereas many 
skeptics are just, oh, this is irrelevant. I'm just going to shut off my brain and not even bother learning about it or something like that. Um, so, so again, this isn't this isn't a necess. Uh, well, at least with the uh, outside of the supernatural things or whatever. Um, yeah, like th- this is a potential thing. Atheists. Uh, could be more close-minded uh, to engaging in certain intellectual pursuits because of their religious worldview. They're, they're not open to even considering the supernatural or they're not even open to considering certain things. And I, and I get that, you know, there are atheists that can be open to these things, but I'm, uh, I'm just saying that on an atheistic worldview, these could be things that might lead one to be close-minded. Uh, I don't know what you might make of that. Uh, bonk. So I don't, I don't think that atheists are more close-minded than Christians. I think that Christians uh, are extremely, uh, maybe more close-minded than atheists because it's built into their faith structure that even if evidence fails, they continue on with their belief. And with the skeptic, there really isn't any kind of faith structure like that that requires us to hang on to a position even in the face when when it fails um so you know i can both can play that game i guess anybody can be uh closed-minded i don't think that anyone has uh, a better claim uh on that as far as the, the various groups and subgroups um but that said i i would reject your uh overall point that somehow being open to the supernatural makes you more uh, mindful, it gives you more areas to pursue uh, intellectual uh, advancement. It does not. Uh, in fact, one could say it is an example of not uh, being attendant to your intellectual pursuits. People who don't know anything about the world are more superstitious than people who do. Uh, you know, from the time of children on up, you know, as a child, anything is possible. There are monsters under the bed. And, you know, if you wish hard enough, uh, things will happen. Maybe you can fly and, you know, I'll, any number of things are possible because you don't understand physics. Right. So that it doesn't mean that you are engaged in a more honorable intellectual pursuit simply because you're chasing after things that are not true about the world. A, a real internet uh, intellectual pursuit will have you uh, following up on those things and growing and discarding the things that you discover uh, are not true, as opposed to simply hanging on to you know, fanciful imagination just because it makes you feel better. That's not an intellectual pursuit at that point. That's an emotional pursuit. Yeah, that, that's how I expected you to respond, and and more or less, um, I, I kind of take your point. I, I just I was trying to find some way to uh, provide some kind of counter to this to this intellectual pursuits factor. Like uh, atheists can take satisfaction in you know their beautiful minds and, and their intellectual pursuits. Um, and I don't think yeah, it's, it's an atheist it's, thing, though. I just think I think it's a human yeah. thing. You know, I, yeah. I, I think Christians can do the same thing. Um, and I wish yeah. that Christians okay. would do it more. But I think that, you know, if I had a charge similar to the one you made, I, I would say that Christians tend to hang on to things uh, emotionally uh, when the intellect fails. And that gets that gets 
kind of mixed up in intellectual pursuits. But I would say that it's not really intellectual um, when it's when it's proven wrong or it hits a brick wall and you don't have the evidence for it and you just hang on to it anyway. That's that's a different thing. But I am not saying that you know because of that Christians can't uh, and don't have intellectual pursuits. Yeah, yeah. It's, I take your point that it is personal. Like my, my experience is different. It seems to be that the the atheists, at least on our boards, um, so I recognize that at least the the regular uh, types of atheists seem to be just so close minded and they're not open to really considering the evidences. But that that's unique to them. That isn't necessarily the. I know atheists that are open open to these intellectual pursuits. So yeah, I think you're right to separate that there are, these are personal issues rather than necessarily limits to the, the to the worldview proper. And, and that, it also depends on how, what is atheism, right? As we got into and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, I was just sort of raising that many times atheism can lead to, on a practical level, um, skeptics that are just close-minded any mention of the supernatural they just dismiss it and there is this anti-supernatural bias that can that is often correlated um with being an atheist and stuff like that but um yeah i, I think your response was good so i'm not really gonna refute that um yeah i think i think you're theoretically right uh that yeah it's not a it's not a good counter it's just more me pointing out to the practicalities of well look how this works out in practice uh i am much more open-minded in, in practice i'm open to unicorns i'm open to horses uh and i let the evidence uh, adjudicate or something like that but yeah um all right cool I, I wanted to throw that out there so okay so uh final point grow the hell up uh, or be a grown-ass adult, <laughs> whichever you prefer. Um, this is important to me, uh, and this is kind of where I thought we would spend the bulk of the conversation. I don't know if we actually will spend much conversation here or not. Um, I, I think that there is a difference between childhood and adulthood. And if you listen at how Christians talk about their relationship with God, it sounds a lot, it, it tracks very well, uh, maps, maps very well onto how we think about childhood in, in this world. Um, and so I do believe that one of, the, uh, one of the important things for a person to do before they can be considered an adult is to mature in certain ways and become uh, independent uh, to the degree that it is possible for humans to become independent. Uh, and, you know, there's an entire maturation process that's physical, and then there's a social maturation process. And the social maturation process doesn't track very well with the physical you know, we there there are a lot of adult babies out there. Um, so, yeah, I I'm just going to pause there for a moment um, and see if we can't have a little bit of back and forth on this idea of what it means to be a mature human versus this mature soul that's that seems to be a different 
different criteria for maturity when the Christian is talking. Yeah, so so I, I agreed with one thing that you said. So humans mature in certain aspects. So we have to ask, what what is it that the Christian is telling us? In what ways or aspects is the Bible telling Christians to be childlike and to call God Abba, their daddy? Um, that there are verses that say this, and there's no problem with that because so so number one, with ch- children, it is entirely appropriate for them to be that way with their parents. They cannot live independent lives. They, as we said, right? They they are dependent in various ways on their their parents, and as they grow, certain they become more and more independent on on certain aspects. Um, but even even as a, a full grown up, um, there, there's always a dependency on other persons. I, I'm always going to be dependent on love of, of my mom and dad, and and vice versa. They, even though they're the parents, they'll be dependent on me and that. So it's it's um, yeah. I, I guess where I would challenge is what aspects do we grow up in? So for example, I I would say that we should lose the blind faith aspect that young children biologically seem to, to exercise. Um, one shouldn't have this blind faith in, in authority uh, type figures. We, we lose that as we grow, if, if we're maturing as Christians. And uh, we have, instead we have a justified faith uh, or an evidenced faith. And um, so that's that's a difference, but there's still that element of, of this child childlike faith in the sense that, yeah, I, I trust this guy this guy, God is morally perfect. If he tells me to do something, I'm going to do it. And, and I have 100% knowledge in that respect, and I'm going to do it. I trust that it's for good. Um, so, so in that way, that's a childlike aspect that it's good for us to maintain while discarding the bad aspect of just a blind faith in an authority figure who does or does not warrant that, that blind faith. Yeah, but do you see how that doesn't tra- uh, map onto real life very well, though? Because I, you know, my dad is still alive, thankfully, uh, and uh, I like my dad a lot. Uh, you know, I have a lot of respect uh, for my dad. He, there are plenty of ways that he's smarter than me. There are plenty of ways that he's an idiot. <laughs> so, um, hi, Dad. Sorry, sorry, Happy dad, Father's but it's it's true, and you know, this is this is true of all dads. But I, I there's no point in my adult life when you know my dad comes uh, alongside me and gives me a piece of advice advice and i just trust it i just take it because uh right. well the, the wise man the old man said so that's that's not me growing up but you're saying that as a christian you always have to be in a position where the old man comes and says something well okay i just got to do it got to trust that he knows best well put it this way so forget about the warrantedness or, or not for a second so so children the reason they have this trust uh, in their dad is because they see him as not being a quote-unquote idiot, as you call them. They, they think they're, they are omnibenevolent. Everything they say is right, and, and, and uh, therefore they should be just followed when they're, when they're very young. If you say they're Santa Claus, okay, that must mean they're Santa Claus. And this childlike impulse is actually true when we apply it to God, when we mature and realize, well, actually, no human parent is omniscient or omnibenevolent. But God is. So I'm going to maintain that childlike attitude and faith where, yeah, if, if I don't understand all the answers, I know that you are all good 
and you're omniscient and omnipotent and all of that, you're a maximal great being. So yeah, I, I will treat you in the same way I did, treated my biological dad uh, when I was a child, because it, it's warranted in your case. You, you, the reason I trusted my dad applies in your case. It doesn't apply to the biological daddy, so I stopped listening to him, but it does still apply to, to Abba in heaven, to my daddy in heaven. Um, Ab Abba means daddy, just so you know, I'm not being cute. Uh, like there's, there's an, it, it means father, but there's an intimate Abba, step. Abba, Abba. Think of it, yeah. think of it said like that. There you go, yeah. There's that, the daddy implies this intimate uh, relationship with your heavenly father. So yeah, that that's that's the proper response. We are to be childlike. The, the, the reason we're, uh, we just blindly trust our, our biological fathers when we're little kids is we have this mistaken notion. And as we grow, we realize, no, that, that's wrong. Only God in heaven is uh, is justified in this. So, so I'm going to follow him right. and have the faith so as, of child. As skeptics, I'm sure you can understand uh, not only that we don't believe that s such a creature exists, but mm -hmm. the idea of it uh to a mature person is galling. Now, I'm not saying that because it's a galling idea that makes it right. I'm just saying that for a person who has gone through the maturation process, um, it is it is galling to actually think, oh no, there is some there is some sense where I'm always that little kid reaching up with his pudgy hands for a ata um because because I wet my diaper again um that's it, you know that that daddy is he's there he's watching everything and he's always right and you're always wrong and you just gotta you're never gonna grow beyond that point for some for some people that's a very comforting thought uh, that is not a comforting thought to everyone and I just hope that you have enough awareness to at least understand why that is not a comforting thought. Yeah, I, I do understand that. Where people are sinful, and this is why it's not comforting. I, I want to do I'm a little toddler. I can do everything myself. I don't want to submit my will to a heavenly father. There's, so this is why it's, not, it's uncomfortable we're, because we're not little toddlers. You keep saying that. Because we're not, but we're not and, toddlers. We're not says you, but um, I'm saying that that's where you are but in mistake. Who says you are? Who's who's made you think this way about yourself? Because I've searched the evidence and concluded that God exists, right? And you're the one making the claim this week. So you have to, you say to grow up Christians, you have to prove that growing up means recognizing reality for what it is. It's part of reality, according to the Christians, that God does exist. He has these attributes which make him worthy of our putting our faith in him in the same way a little child puts their faith in their biological. I, I think that it would be theoretically possible for there to be a, a kind of a God person out there that didn't require you to, to, uh, to be infantilized in his presence. So I don't, I don't actually think those two things go together. I don't think that logically follows that if there's a God, therefore we're little babies. Right. So and and you're making it God. It, God the God of the Bible doesn't treat us as little babies, right? It's it's That's in certain it's in certain respects that we act like 
we have the faith of little children. It, it says nothing about, oh, can you choose to take this job or, or another job? God gives us our autonomy. This, this is the subject of anti-theism, not in the sense that me and you use it or Matt Dillahunty, but in philosophical cir circles, um, anti-theism is a specific type of argument that talks about God doesn't exist because there would be less value. And there, usually it says humans have less dignity, um, or there's a second brand where we have less autonomy. So they say it's it's more valuable or better value-wise if God didn't exist because we would have more autonomy. So this is what yours you're trying to make this sort of argument that we would lose our autonomy or and or dignity in some sense uh, if we have to ever submit to to God in any sense. And I'm saying no, that's not true. In the first place, God does give us our adult autonomy. God God has no say. Well, no, sorry. Um, God, God doesn't choose directly what job I take. I make that decision as a grown-up. Um, his commands to us are on the moral front and in terms of what we need to be saved. And, and he gives us his word as a guide for making the right decisions. He tells us, hey, look, these are the facts. It's wrong to, sin it's wrong to lie. Uh, if you lie, you're living against the reality of the world uh, of what is objectively good versus not. It's up to you if you want to follow that or not. Um, you, you can choose to sin or you're not, and I give you that autonomy. Um, but uh, yeah, it, that's, that's not, it's not a problem that I submit and recognize the reality. God is the foundation of morality. He tells me it's wrong to lie. I'm going to submit to that. I'm, I'm going to resist my independent urge to want to want to do it my way and tell a lie anyways. That, that's okay. an adult. So that's what I'm, an adult I'm just, I'm just saying, theoretically, fundamentally, if we, you know, stretched our imaginations to play this game, you know, if, if there was a God, um, I don't think there's anything philosophically or theoretically about a God that demand that requires him to be a father figure um, and to be this person that, you know, you have to ask permission for everything, for everything you do and to feel infantilized by. I mean, the God could be an actual good father figure who says, you know what, uh, life is complicated. Here are some guideposts, but uh, live and make your own mistakes. Uh, let me know if uh, you need some help. That 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 could be a God model too. That's just not the one that we're given. Well, I, th I think it is somewhat. Um, it, it is the case. So so part of growing up means becoming morally responsible, right? We we take responsibility. We limit our own autonomy. Sometimes I might want to do something. You know, I'm really hungry for that chocolate bar. I just I don't have money, so I'm just going to steal it. As as grown arse adults, as you call it, grown adults. I'm a moral agent and I am responsible enough to say, no, I'm not going to steal. That would be wrong. That will hurt this store owner because he'll lose money and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I'm going to limit my autonomy and I'm going to choose not to sin. And God is with the Bible and that sort of thing in his commandment, moral commandments, is providing us with this guide of, look, here's here are the facts that you have. It's wrong to lie. It's wrong to steal. It's wrong to kill. It's wrong to, to rape. Uh, these are ontologically speaking, the necessary moral truths. Now, what do you do? You, you have to grow up and realize I have a responsibility to do what's morally right. 
oh, uh, God is telling me what is morally right. I'm going to do what's morally right. Um, and it, that, you know, it's the same thing we do with laws. It, it's, um, it, you know, it's against the law to run a red light. I have a responsibility to be a good citizen. Um, I'm not going to run the red light, even though, you know, that's violating my autonomy. I need to get to this meeting five minutes early. Um, that's the only, that's the same thing Christians are doing with the moral law of, of God. Only the moral law is more, found, more of a good foundation because the, the human-made laws are developed by idiots, as David calls them, developed by humans that are flawed and blah, blah, blah. With, with the moral commandments in the Bible, we don't have that problem. We, this is reality. If, if for Christians, this is what is right and wrong. So do you take responsibility and step up? Or do you behave like a little toddler who wants it their way? And no, I'm not following the rules. I want to eat pizza at 12 o'clock at night, whether I get a tummy ache or not. Um, yeah, that's how I see it. So, uh, so I will close. <laughs> okay. So I will. Uh, I think that is that too I, much at the end? No, no, I think we got. Uh, so with uh, with that, uh, also a sandwich just set itself in front of me, uh, mm. and so I'm going to eat it. Um, but, um, you know, on that front, uh, just say no to coasters with rounded bottoms. Just say no. Um, so anyway, yeah, so I, I think I will start there uh, at the end and make that my close. At the end of the day, um, I think that a good life well, I don't have to think this. I know this because I live a good life. It's good to me, so it's a it's a good life. And it may not be a good life. Someone else don't care don't care about objective measures of what a good life is. I've simply given you a taste of of uh, the kind of life that I would want to emulate. Not even say that I you know completely do all of those things. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, a good life is one where you have stepped outside of your birthing shell and you have become a full, uh, a fully realized, fully socially vested individual in this world. Uh, and you are not just uh, at this point, the product of the things that have been put into your head by someone else. You are someone uh, with contributions of your own to make. You are someone with thoughts of your own and studies of your own. You are someone with opinions of your own uh, about what is good and right. The Bible makes a, uh, a bit of a slur uh, when it says, you know, in those times, everyone was, every, every man was doing what was right in their own eyes. I actually encourage uh, more people to do what is right in their own eyes, because that is, in fact, uh, the definition of morality. Uh, you see, if you're only doing what is right in the eyes of someone else, then you're not actually being moral at all. You're being obedient. Uh, maybe there's something to be said for being obedient, but you're not quite a grown-ass adult, because part of that is being able to look at a situation, assess it, understand the society that you're in, understand the people that are around you in the context, and be able to decide for yourself what is or isn't right. That is maturity. That is ethics lived out. That is morality. 
uh, and that is a good life uh, when you can live that and do that and actually be uh, in harmony and step with other people who are doing and being likewise uh, fully realized individuals living in a social context uh, and making life uh, an experience to be enjoyed and appreciated to the full by themselves and as many people around them uh, as they can expand that too. You do not need a God to do that. And in fact, I think that if you take the kind of God uh, that my interlocutor uh, envisions, you will be detracting from that. As someone who has had life on both sides, I am experiencing from my perspective, a better life on the other side of God. Uh, whether you do or not is a is a personal thing, but if you are a Christian, you are thinking that somehow uh, I'm afraid if I leave this uh, nice gilded cage of faith where people tell me what to think, and you know I've got this sky daddy who keeps me safe, and you know I don't have to worry about things, and you know money, God will just take care of it if I run out of money. You know if 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 you're afraid that life gets worse uh, when you walk away from those fantasies. I can tell you from my own experience, it does not. From the experience of the extremes on this and other boards, it does not. Uh, and so, yeah, a good life can be, should be, must be had by all. And you don't need a sky daddy for that. Okay, so just as my closing, um, it, when me and David discussed this uh, topic from an ontological perspective, I I quoted from Richard Swinburne's book, uh, which is actually my uh, favorite uh, in his series called Faith and Reason, and he outlines three reasons uh, why people uh, follow religions or why they should follow uh, religion or, or God and that sort of thing. The first is, look, to, f to uh, fulfill their own ultimate purpose in creation. Um, the second is to help others attain their purpose in creation. And then the third is to pay homage, proper respect and homage to God as a being worthy of worship. Um, I think that these three aspects embody what it means to be a grown-up or a grown adult. Uh, taking responsibility, caring, it's not this individualistic, uh, subjectivist uh, standard that David advocates for, which is really selfish. It, this, The religious or theistic view looks at all persons and says they all matter as what I called what I told David Smalley um, I believe in personism as a personist as opposed to humanist perspective it it values God as persons that are worthy of respect it values me as a person that is worthy of respect and, and having my needs fulfilled and it values other other humans and their needs and it tries to take a balanced approach to accommodate the needs of everyone not just you know, an individual's subjective wants or, or to make me as an individual satisfied. Sometimes I have to sacrifice my my wants for the groups and that's part of being, uh, or for others and vice versa. And, and this is part of being an adult and recognizing that uh, there, are, there are pros and cons. You can't you can't be a little toddler saying, me, 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 give me what I want. I, I want this and I want that, I want that. I, I don't care about your, your you, daddy. You want you want to buy a new lawnmower? The heck with that. Buy me 10 chocolates. Um, that's, that's effectively what the skeptics 
is arguing for here. And I think you need to grow up. You need to realize there are other people in this world besides you uh, and their needs matter. And, and in order to find this balance where God's need, God is a person, I'm a person, other humans are persons. And we need to find this objective standard that uh, Christianity gives us that uh, on the whole benefits everyone. If, if lived out perfectly without the contamination of sin, it would benefit every person. Uh, so that's my that's my take. Okay, and uh, thanks for listening. Uh, next week, even though I'm not entirely sure who's going to be in my chair, we do know what we're going to be talking about. Dale, tell them what's coming up. Yeah. Uh, so Mr. Darren Lute uh, keeps complaining that, uh, oh, I haven't demonstrated, pre- demonstrated premise seven, uh, the plausibility of supernatural miracles. It's finally come. I promised you last season I would do it. Uh, next week, I've written up the blog. We're, we're going to do the plausibility of miracles. Why, why uh, a priori, the supernatural shouldn't be dismissed uh, like skeptics uh, like to do. And Specifically, I'm, I'm addressing what I think are two of the main reasons um, that skeptics that listen to our show, I think, are, pr- are providing as to why they think they can say that the supernatural isn't an equal possibility. They're improbable. So that's uh, scientism uh, in both its strong and weak forms and also the issue of naturalism. Aren't su- isn't the supernatural considered a violation of the laws of nature? Um, obviously, there are, there are other reasons that skeptics provide, but those are the two that I think apply to most of the skeptics in our audience. So I'm going to be refuting those and say that those are not good enough reasons to rule out uh, supernatural as possible as being possible a priori okay yeah it's gonna be fun consider that the um, prologue of uh, our big show on miracles I can tell you I've gotten some interest in in that this might be a, a mega show the miracle show that actually happens so this is kind of a preview or a prelude not even a preview it's laying some of the groundwork for the miracle show yeah but the miracle show might end up uh, having three or four panelists, or we might do two or three shows on it, because uh, there's a lot to be said on it. And uh, both sides have put in a lot of time, and there are a lot of people who want a piece of it. And so we might find some way to uh, expand that a little bit. So uh, that's coming. Stay tuned. And uh, in the meantime, thank you all, and goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.